Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 98. My name is Arvin. Join me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Uh, how's it going, Fooliman? How's the social distancing life treating you? Not too badly. I have to say I might be kind of more of a homebody in a lot of respects. I was sort of ready for social distancing up to a point. The overhanging anxiety about the fate of the world and the economy isn't super fun. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, kind of the same. Um, it doesn't affect my day-to-day life and my work as much as it does for pretty much anyone else almost because um, most of my work I'm able to do from home anyways. But yeah, like obviously, you know, the <laughs> impending, you know, issues that it's going to create and that, you know, the news stories and how it's dominating headlines and the very real problems that a lot of other people are, are facing are, are certainly um, not very fun to have to kind of confront on a regular basis and they're probably less fun if you're confronting them in real life too absolutely you know i think it's weird being conscious that we're almost certainly now living through at best one of the defining crises of our lives like in the future i have a pretty good feeling that our generation is going to talk about the coronavirus as mm-hmm. like a seminal event in changing our lives and our societies and i'm just hoping that most of those changes are not disastrous but it's it's going to be a tough ride and uh yeah i, I won't uh expound on that topic too much one because i don't know all that much and two because we are still doing this podcast yes yeah for we're, we're the trying... purpose of not being despairing exactly well, i mean well, not, not as despairing as we usually are <laughs> We'll be we'll still be despairing about the leaps, but we won't be despairing about other things. Um, yeah. yeah, like insofar as you know, people are going to still listen to this podcast. I think it's most likely as a bit of escapism, right? So mm-hmm. we'll do our best to kind of, you know, let you forget about the the real issues facing the world um, for for an hour or so. Yes. So minimal discussion of the virus going forward, except we will have to kind of talk about the league restarting and ideas like that. But what we decided to do in our center of the universe, Toronto Arrogance, is something that we did last offseason from a slightly different perspective. We're going to look at the state of the NHL. We're going to go around all the teams, probably not all in this episode because experience has taught us that would take forever, but we'll get through a bunch of them and then we'll do the rest of them next week. We're just going to try and survey them and say, how do you think this team is doing? Where are they at? Where are they going? What? would be worth knowing about them so that you can discuss it at the virtual water cooler that you get when you're working from home (laughs) if you are so fortunate so yeah we're just gonna start rolling with that are you ready to go i'm ready to go all right the first team granted alphabetical primacy is the anaheim ducks more like the anaheim sucks thank you here all week try the veal (laughs) the anaheim ducks were in 27th place at the time that the league suspended operations. It wasn't going super great. They are a bad team. Hey, man, they're only 11 points out with 11 to go. Still got it. (laughs) You know what? We'll always wonder what could have been if the Anaheim Ducks had had a chance. Now, the Anaheim Ducks have had a really, really rough ride uh, this season. Maybe not as bad as the other two teams from California, who are actually worse, but it's not great. They're kind of at the, the tail end fumes of that Ryan Getzlaff e semi... I mean, Dynasty's too strong a word, but they did win a cup in his youth. Uh, and, you know, I'm not knocking Getzlaff here, but 
the teams that were built around him and Corey Perry are now kind of wrapping up. Corey Perry is gone. Getzlaff is 34. They're kind of nearing the end there. I should add, you know, it's not like Getzlaff is unplayable now. He's just not worth 8.25 million. So they're in a transition state, I would say it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. They have a few contracts that I'm not super enamored of. It's not too bad. I don't like the Cam Fowler deal. I think we talked about that before. Yeah, it's 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 a lot. We talked about this on the offseason pod. Yeah, it's a lot of money for a guy who, I guess, hasn't had an incredibly strong track record of, of being kind of consistently driving play and driving goals. Um, mm-hmm. And he's 28, right? So it's it's like it's a move you make to win now. And, well, I mean, if you look at the standings, they're not really winning now. They are not doing so. So, yeah, it's a little bit of an issue. The Hampus Lindholm deal is very, very good by contrast. But Mm -hmm. the problem there is it expires in three years when he's 29, which isn't an issue in of itself. But, you know, if they're not winning in the next three years, you're not really capturing. Like, that deal isn't actually doing a whole lot for you, right? And then you look at the rest of the roster, and the the defense is good, and it's been decimated by injuries this year. Mm -hmm. Um, But up front, there just isn't a ton of talent. And there especially isn't a ton of young talent. Yeah, which made the Andre Kasha trade to Boston so interesting. They took back David Backus, first of all, who has a bad cap hit. Possibly suggesting they don't expect to be super good next year either, which is perhaps admirably realistic. But Kasha was a good young player, is a good young player now in Boston. And while he's had injury issues... I'm a little surprised that they were that eager to cut bait on one of their better young players. I don't know really where they expect to be going. Maybe they just think, okay, we're going to have kind of a fallow period, and that's sort of inevitable from teams that are transitioning down. And they've scouted defensemen well, it has to be said. Like, they found value in the defense market from Lindholm, from Josh Manson, from, you know, several of these guys. It's just... There's not a lot here that you look at and you think, okay, this is a team that's primed to, to jump back into relevance quickly. And they have a few deals, like I'm thinking of uh, Adam Henrique and Jacob Silverberg, who are still decent players now, but they're making money for the next four years after this one. I don't know that they're going to be in a position to really capitalize on the late primes of those guys. And then they'll probably have kind of clunky cap hits by the time Anaheim is hopefully good again. Yeah, the Soferberg deal was interesting because I think he was um, he signed it March of 2019 uh, as mm-hmm. I believe like a, a contract extension, right? Because he was I, th- I believe a pending UFA. Um, he was, and it, it's like I think that's a fine deal for a team to make because Soferberg is a good player. But I don't think it really made sense for Anaheim to make that deal. Anaheim was in a weird position where it was, okay, how long do we still keep trying to be good? And when do we accept, okay, it's not happening anymore? And I think maybe they thought better results were coming, one, because they had a new coach in Dallas Eakins coming in. Dallas Eakins, you may remember, actually was a coach of the Toronto Marlies way back when. Kind of ironic, actually. There was a job vacancy at the Leaf level. Some of the more progressive E-fans wanted Dallas Eakins to get promoted, and instead the Leafs hired Randy Carlisle. 
And now Anaheim fired Randy Carlyle and eventually replaced him with Eakins. Time is a flat circle in the NHL. So, yeah, I guess they thought they would be doing better. It has to be said they've had John Gibson, who was consensus best goalie in the stats world, I think, for the last few years. At least he's up there. And he's had a down year. It hasn't gone super well for him. It's probably worth noting that I think maybe there's some evidence that Randy Carlisle teams juice the save percentages of their goalies a little bit because they allow proportionately more long-distance shots. To be clear, it doesn't mean that they're doing a great job for the team. We kind of found with Carlisle that he allowed the same number of dangerous shots as anyone else, Mm -hmm. but still more shots from the perimeter. So it wasn't like he was really keeping teams to the outside. He was allowing them to get to the inside at a normal rate and allowing them to shoot from the outside even more. But the net result of that could be a slight boost to save percentage. Yeah, that as it may. But Gibson looked good even with adjusted measures, right? But I think think it's more just, you know, it shows how volatile goalies are. Mm -hmm. Right? We know Gibson's quite good. It's just, you know, even with any individual year, you know, a a good goalie might not be in the top third of... uh, of goalies in, in any given season. I remember seeing the stat that, like, there's basically, there's no goalie who has been, like, in the top third of, like, goals saved above expected in each of the past three years. It's, like, so basically, no matter how good your goalie is, you know, it's unlikely that they're going to have three straight, you know, excellent starter seasons in a row. Yeah, and the truth is, you know, even goalies who look like they're good can get bad very quickly. I mean, Corey Schneider is the quintessential example. He was one of the best... Hmm, five, eight goalies in the world, probably, for a little bit. And then when age came for him, right around age 30, it came very fast, uh, accompanied by injuries, and he's done uh, as a practical matter. So, yeah, it's true. It is unforgiving. And John Gibson is so much the strength of that team that he was able to look to, excuse me, make them look closer to being good than they probably really were under Randy Carlyle at times. Good goaltending obviously chumps to everything in the NHL. But now, if he's kind of up and down, they have to hope he returns to form. And, you know, he's as decent a bet to do that as anyone. But it does sort of illustrate how far away the rest of the roster is. They have a couple of enviable defensemen. Some decent second-line guys, basically. Like, I'm looking at guys like Raquel, Silverberg, Henrique. I'm like, oh yeah, those guys can be in the middle six of a really good team. And that's kind of it. You know, like, that's the forward grouping that they're looking at. And, you know, they have some prospects coming up, but no one who looks, like, genuinely dynamite. Like, I liked Sam Steele a lot, but, you know, he's, he's had a passable rookie season as a 22-year-old. So, yeah, it's just... The long-term prospect for Anaheim is probably either Gibson drags them randomly back to contention, or not contention, to competence, which he could do at any time. But beyond that, the skating personnel is pretty weak. So Yeah, and yeah, that, that does uh, that puts a ceiling on it. I, whoever they draft with their own draft pick this year is almost certainly going to be their best prospect and their chance at like elite talent in the future. Um, yeah. They have also Boston's first. Other than that, they don't really have a plethora of picks, right? They have, they have seven picks in this year's draft essentially they've, they've gained out on a first and lost out on a seven so that, that's a trade you make obviously it's it's mm-hmm. good but boston's first is not that great um and then in the two years following they have nashville's 2022 sixth rounder so 
again, not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, what I will say is that they do have several contracts that I would want no part of in the next year. And Ryan Kessler, although he's, he's done, uh, is his dear, his deal actually still runs two years after this one. But if they can get through the next couple of seasons, their cap sheet sort of clears up and they have a few deals that are maybe not the best, but shouldn't be crippling or anything. Yeah. Like if, if, yeah. if I were them, I kind of, I try and strip it down now, or actually you don't even really have to strip it down. You're, you're bad as is. Mm-hmm. Right. But you, so you just, you trade anyone who has actual trade value um, and isn't the part of the next decent Ducks team for futures. I, I, I wonder if you trade Raquel, because mm-hmm. um, you would get a lot for him. I, I think Raquel is very, very good. I think he's kind of... You mentioned that, okay, he can be in the middle six on a really good team. I think there's a world in which he's on the top line of a very good team, right? He's a good play driver, has great shooting talent. I, yeah. I, I think he, I think he's really excellent. He's making less than four mil for each of the next two years after this one, and we're just going to kind of assume that this year is, you know, dead and in the water. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, two years of a borderline first liner, maybe an actual first liner, making less than four mil, that, that should get you a pretty penny. And if you're Anaheim, I mean, I don't think you want to sign him after that deal was done because he will be 28, right? Um, it may, he's going to command a lot of money and probably more term than you want. So if you're mm-hmm. really not going to take advantage of him in the next two years, maybe you can get a blue chip prospect for him and, and move on. I do think that they run the risk of, I'd call it the Buffalo problem. Right, where you you need some good players, right? Exactly. And but the things like yeah, do you? I mean, let's say JVR's contract expired, you know, two years before it did, for mm-hmm. us, right? Do we resign him? No, I don't know. That's a valid point. And right, and it, it's kind know, of that situation yeah. where you have this guy who's clearly great value on his deal. You probably don't want his next deal, but he's really good and he's going to help your team a lot. If they think they can do like a really quick rebuild, which I don't, unless they win the lottery and get Lafreniere or or maybe Byfield. I don't know if Byfield's NHL ready next year. Um, not as an I doubt he's NHL ready. I mean, I actually don't know if he's NHL ready. Um, but yeah, if you if you get maybe Lafreniere, you can maybe try for a quick turnaround. You have Gibson, so you're you're never far away from a goaltender just kind of you know giving you a two percent PDO boost. Mm-hmm. Maybe you keep him in that case, but I think you can get a really good return for Raquel. And if you can get like a like you can actually get a good prospect and a and a solid first round pick for a team with him, and having an additional year of team control will help a lot. And I just don't think for Anaheim it necessarily makes sense to resign Raquel when he is he's going to be what twenty eight, twenty nine after when he signs his next deal, uh, mm-hmm. and he's going to command a good amount of money. Yeah, I think he's going to get a raise, obviously. That deal that he's on now is absurd value, it's true. I do wonder about some of these players in Anaheim who don't have, currently, huge point totals. Now, I know Raquel, a couple years back, had a 34-goal season. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that goes a long way. And this is just simplistic, but I think that, especially for teams like Anaheim, that seem to be a little bit under-discussed, counting stats still drive a lot of value. And so I do wonder if his next deal, depending on how next year goes and whatever, will be quite that expensive. It'll be more. It's probably still fraught with term risk. But, 
Yeah, I mean, you certainly shop him. You're shopping the hell out of Henrik and Silverberg and seeing if you can find a... Uh, what's a nice word for sucker? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, to be fair, Henrik and Silverberg are still currently okay. Yeah. It could make real sense for a, a team that is not being a sucker to take them on as an added piece if they think, I don't give a shit what happens in three years. I want to be better now. Yeah, Raquel's numbers have dropped in the past two years from a point perspective, and best I can tell, just from I'm taking a quick look at the stats now, a lot of it is shooting percentage related. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you have to, I don't know if he, he has missed some time with injuries, maybe, you know, it, it could be like an Alex Seaman thing where he was the world's, you know, top five shooter until suddenly he wasn't. Yeah, because shooting percentage is a big part of Raquel's value, right? If he's lost that as a discrete skill or if it's been damaged a little bit, that's a problem for his value. And so, yeah, I don't know. Certainly they ought to listen. They ought to listen on everybody. They ought to listen when we tell them we want Hampus Lindholm for, like, a third-round pick. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that I don't they, think they, should, should. they should really trade Hampus Lindholm to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Just, I, I, I think <laughs> Jeremy Bracco would really add a dash of you know, high-flying, creative talent to this team. I mean, really, they might even have to sweeten the pot to get Bracco for Lindholm. Oh, I think only fair. I mean, give us Lindholm and Manson. Let's just take the whole set. We'll just plop them right in as a pairing. Exactly. And, you know, you can clear cap space at the same time. I think that's a really good deal for the Ducks. All right, so yeah, I think I think that's probably enough on the Ducks for now, right? Yeah, the, uh, the very fascinating Anaheim Ducks. The only thing I will say is that it could... I've, se- I've seen teams in worse positions... And having the recently best goalie in the world on a not bad contract at age 26 is one of the rare big fat goalie deals that I don't mind. Yeah, this is kind of like a run of the mill yeah. bad team. Like they're they're not in an mm-hmm. awful position. They're not completely capped out. They're they're not bereft of picks. Like if with smart management and some luck, they can become a playoff team in like two years or three years. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. And by and playoff so, team, I mean like a team that deserves to be in the playoffs, not a team that just gets drag kicking the screaming there i'm not sure how good dallas eakins is um but yeah i want to believe he's good i like him yeah I me like too him personally and he talks well he's articulate all that jazz but i don't know that i mean i don't know you can't make bricks without clay does mm-hmm. that make sense the team's numbers this year have been bad he hasn't he, like, he hasn't done anything with this team that's gonna suggest oh he's a great coach that's for sure he hasn't been able to raise the level above the personnel and the health mm-hmm. that they have so yeah, well, I guess we'll find out. Um, the next team up is the Arizona Coyotes, mm-hmm. who are in 22nd in the league in points at uh, at suspension. Feels like we've actually talked about the Coyotes a surprising amount for a team that is like famously underviewed. You know, we've talked about the various strictures that they operate under and the fact that they are an underdog team, so to speak. They're going to struggle financially. They need major draft hits. And they've been trying to make big swings. John Chaka has been trying. With the Phil Kessel trade, with the Taylor Hall trade. I mean, where does the Taylor Hall trade leave you? If this is done, if this season is finished, the Coyotes are in 22nd, you know... (laughs) Is Taylor Hall looking at that and thinking, okay, finally I've found the place that I want to sign with to be a perennial contender? I don't know that he is. And so, 
as they fade further back from the pack, like it's not out of the question that in some resumed season they could get in. The, yeah, they're, they're, they're not the so far out. But like, I mean, for them, the playoffs really is their holy grail because mm-hmm. additional, you know, a couple games of revenue, getting your players and your quote-unquote young core a, a taste of the playoffs when they haven't had it in, in some time um, is nice. And they're only, you know, f- essentially four points out. Mm-hmm. But f- as we've covered many times, four points out sounds like much closer than it actually is. Yeah, it is surprising how often being four points out is a death knell. You know, there's that famous Elliot Friedman stat where it's like, if you're four points out by November 1st, you're already really up against it. Like three quarters of the time you're finished or something like that. So, you know, it's tough. And then if Taylor Hall walks in the offseason, I know they didn't pay like a huge ransom to get him, but like they paid enough. It wasn't free, and if they're, they're out there first this year, unless or or next year, unless they win, you know, one of the lotteries. Yeah, and so, jeez, I don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> I have to admit, I was really iffy on that trade at the time because I'm iffy on rentals as a concept. I think you should be making rentals if you are convinced you're really, really, really good, and I mean, not even, not like pretend. We're in a shitty division. We're sort of hanging around good. I mean, seriously top five in the NHL on real merit. Then do rentals. Then it's time to go all in and say, yeah, we've got it. And I know that, as you said, the playoffs are kind of the holy grail for them. They have to show something, get people excited, have a run, all that good stuff. This team should not have been renting anybody. And, you know, if... Taylor Hall walks in the offseason and goes signs with someone that he thinks has a better long-term prospect, they're going to kind of be left standing with their dicks in their hands thinking, well, that was stupid. You know? And you know, obviously that was always a risk, right? That's an inherent problem. But it's like, I think that that was a very foreseeable downside risk. And just because he was cheap for a rental of the caliber of player that he is, that doesn't mean that they should be renting players at all. That's what I think. I don't think that they were in a position to make the kind of move that they did. And I think, as much as anything, they may just have been saying, we have to try stuff to try and make major home run moves. They got convinced that because they had a good team save percentage that they were a real team for a bit. And injuries kind of put a stop to that, to a certain extent. And now they're not very good. Yeah, pretty much. I mean... Yeah, I got pretty harsh, but also pretty true. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm probably being unnecessarily harsh, maybe. And I do recognize you have to give your fans something. Yeah. And Taylor Hall might have been that something. But from a hockey perspective, I thought that was really short-sighted at the time. And so we come back around to Arizona where it's like they have all of these scenarios where it's a long shot bet it's we get a good long-term contract someone like Dvorak or Schmaltz or Chikrin turns into a superstar and we've got them on a long-term good deal we get late stage Phil Kessel or Taylor Hall and that's almost like getting a star Phil Kessel by the way brutal Uh, year yeah that's unfortunate for them and I mean he was always going to get worse moving away from the insanely superpowered Pittsburgh Penguins power play but 
the, yeah. the thing is with, with Kessel, you know, you're now, you know, Alan at Loser Points on on Twitter wrote an article about Nikita Kucherov's um, season last year uh, during award season. But part of it had to do with, with Phil Kessel and how the evaluation of him has changed over time. And you know, the advanced stats community used to be a big defender of of Kessel um, because, and this is still true, he was unfairly maligned for a lot of things that weren't his fault. And in his prime. It, the pluses outweighed the minuses. And when you looked at like his core zero and stuff like that, like they were positive. It wasn't great, but it was positive. And then with his shooting talent and his ability to um, score and pass the puck and power play utility, it was clear he was a good player in his prime. Um, but as we've gotten more sophisticated tools, we've realized that, hey, this guy's actually a really awful play driver because he is legitimately awful defensively. He is horrific defensively. And that has kind of continued as, as he has aged. And this year... The shooting percentage, both individual and on ice, has dried up. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you when you strip that away from him, you're you're left with something that's not all that impressive. Yeah, I mean, he was always a guy with discrete skills, a little bit like Kasperi Kapanen in some ways, but Kapanen is much better defensively. And so, you know, Kessel had that blazing speed, that ability to shoot up the the wing, to shoot in stride very effectively and to score from not all that superficially dangerous locations on the rush at a high percentage. And so that was the whole package, and it's a great value as long as all of that's working. As soon as some of that fades, you're left falling back on him as his total, sorry, as his total impact as a player, which is not very good now. (laughs) So, yeah, I kind of got where they were coming from, and Alex Galchenyuk is still having a rough, rough ride obviously uh he's traveling the world now he's no longer in pittsburgh but yeah i i have to admit it's another situation where i see what they were attempting to do but it didn't quite work the castle one to be clear i understood a little bit more than the hall one i thought the hall one was a hail mary yeah i mean with castle you know, you could convince yourself, okay, you know, we we can insulate him a little bit, right? We we need the the shooting talent really that he that he has, mm-hmm. um, and like the the juice that he would provide to our power play. But unfortunately, like the the individual offense for him just hasn't really been there, so uh, it's it's not looked great from that perspective. Yeah, and you know how much better is it going to get? Now, I know he went through a brutal shooting slump to start the year. Yeah, and like his, the on-ice shooting percentage is, is like 7.8% with him, right? Yeah. That, that's not that's not good. That's that's His career average is 8.9%. And remember, he spent a lot more of his career in lower-scoring eras than what we have right now. Like, on-ice shooting percentage has gone up in the past few years, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, even just returning him to his career average on-ice shooting percentage gets you a bit more offense back, right? The other thing is, yeah, like that... That power play was not is, is not good, and that power play in Pittsburgh was just demonic. Like there was there was te- it's terrifying, right? When when they had Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Kessel, and Hornquist. Yeah, like that's almost the platonic ideal of a power play. It's that versus the the Ov Carlson. Yeah, one time a road. Like there there are maybe five or six players in the world who you'd be like, okay, yeah, that would unequivocally 
improve on that power play in that role and even even Hornquist's role in that power play he's very good at his role like maybe you get like JVR there instead right just mm-hmm. to pick a guy who I know is great there Joe Pavelski um right Jamie Ben prime Jamie Ben I suppose um as, as like strong net front players but yeah just yeah. disgusting power play yeah and so you know now he, he moves to Arizona and he's the guy there are just not enough guys on Arizona who can be the guy you know what I mean and they keep trying to find one and again that's probably factoring into Taylor Hall because Taylor Hall has been the guy in New Jersey and he had that one season where he basically dragged them kicking and screaming to a playoff spot and but I think they're they're doomed to mediocrity yeah and make no mistake Taylor Hall is really really good yeah his next contract is going to be interesting as hell though I have yeah, no idea how he, that's going to he end. might be it might be it might end up, end up being super team friendly in the sense mm. of like Hall has been on so many bad teams that now you have like dumb GMs who are like oh maybe maybe he infects them with his badness and his you know he's like he's like a virus uh, yeah right <laughs> locker room cancer speaking yeah. of Phil Kessel who was supposedly that and then oh no it turns out that he's he's pretty good yeah exactly um but yeah Hall is a really 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 good player I, I, I do wonder what he's going to sign for, especially especially now, like, with the virus being a thing and how okay, that... So that, that's going to overhang all of this. One, I'm assuming this season is over and that they won't succeed in restarting it in any form. I could be wrong about that. Maybe they'll get a kind of rump playoff run that can go on in, in August or September. Who knows? Wide open. But if this season is over... The NHL just took a massive blow to revenues. A cap increase of the kind that we were discussing even a month ago now seems absurd. Because, again, everyone just lost a shit ton of money. And so, the question is going to be, how do the union and the league try to deal with a, a league that has suddenly lost a ton of revenue? And do they keep the cap where it is? Do they let it go up a little bit to reduce the pressure on certain teams and accept there are going to be massive uh, escrow payments that actually really undermine the dollar value of the contract for the playoff players? Excuse me. Do they try compliance buyouts? Do they do anything? We don't know what the solution is going to be. And so this is going to be, whenever it does eventually happen, an absolutely insane free agency period <laughs> because there are so many moving parts. Now, it, it may end up that the upshot of all this is actually that the free agency market becomes kind of paralyzed because teams no longer have room to maneuver for various reasons. And then, yeah, maybe Taylor Hall's next deal is less than you think it is. Maybe less to an even greater extent because he wants to sign for a team that can finally get him to the playoffs on a year in Europe basis. I keep hearing rumors of Edmonton. I don't know if that's weird, wishful thinking on the part of the Edmonton media. It just seems to be discussed a lot and I get maybe people just like the narrative value of sort of the the prodigal son returns but it would be really fascinating to know because he should be a marquee name also if they do put him with like McDavid for a few years that's going to be fucking dumb it's going to be bananas what they do so yeah if I was an NHL player Edmonton might be the lowest on my you know places I'd like to sign it um, mm-hmm. And not because of anything with the city. Like, Edmonton's, yeah, it's super cold. But, I don't know, you're, you're traveling all the time anyways. It's, like, a minor annoyance. I, I'm not, like, a... I don't think that would be the biggest issue. It's mm-hmm. just... 
I think the team is really dumb, and God, I ha- the media is just so insufferable. Yeah, no, the media in Edmonton are friggin' deranged. Although I will say something, and this has been almost my only consolation during the, the epidemic going on, so I need to share it with you. Jim Matheson, who is normally kind of like... Is it mean to say he's sort of like a golden retriever, but a sports reporter? <laughs> normally, like, he's kind of like... I don't think he means any harm. You know, like, he's kind of doing his energetic best. He just makes silly statements and names... When some guy played for the Brandon Wheat Kings in 1987 and played with some dude's uncle or whatever. And uh, the thing is, in the last week, Jim Matheson has been hitting it out of the park. Suddenly, he's just gotten a ton of, like, great ideas. He's like, he's saying the Edmonton Oilers need to pay their workers during the shutdown. He's saying, you know, we got to be realistic. The Oilers are not <laughs> the team most likely to win the cup. And he dunked on Dave Staples, who's another Edmonton media member, to do it. It's been beautiful. It's Neville Longbottom. Like, just the heroic rise of Jim Matheson. And if you don't know Jim Matheson, you just have to take my word for it that this has been a beautiful thing in a dark time. <laughs> anyway, that's getting far afield of the Arizona Coyotes, but I had to share that from my, my innermost heart. I think this team is going to be kind of tread water, not awful, but not very good. This is going to sound repetitive, but... Forever, yeah. yeah with, with, <laughs> no, but same with Anaheim, right? They they don't have the high-end forward talent, and the reality is you basically have to draft that. Or get, like... Okay, so you look at the best teams in, uh, in the league, right? So, yeah. I mean, we'll talk about some of these here, but Boston drafted Bergeron. Um, I think they drafted Marchand, drafted Pasternak. Um, Bergeron and Marchand in particular had kind of weird career patterns where they yeah. suddenly became elite players, you know, relatively later. I guess Bergeron was an elite player, but not in a way we recognize immediately. Bar- Marchand went from legitimately like a good player to a top five forward in the world, mm-hmm. right? Tampa Bay drafted Stamkos, drafted Point, drafted Kucherov. They got steals on Point and Kucherov, right? They got, you could argue, lucky there. Whether it's luck or skill, it's, you know, t- undetermined really. But they drafted high-end offensive players, really low in the draft. Drafted Hedman as well. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, Washington with Ovi and Backstrom. Um, traded for Oshie. I believe they traded away Brower for Oshie, and they, they just won a trade there. Right? Pittsburgh's the canonical example of this. Right? Like, you need that high-end talent. Right? right? I, yeah. I guess St. Louis is probably the... St. Louis is kind of the exception. And, and Vegas, I suppose. But, but with Vegas, they basically... They didn't draft these guys, but they acquired them super cheap and they kind of exploded right um yeah and- i mean vegas is obviously not a viable model for anyone except maybe in the best case scenario seattle right mm-hmm. like you you can't reproduce that method of team building yeah so st louis is really the only one and, and with them they they've been a very good team for a while that was like good through the strength of essentially like their, their systems and their defense and you know decent enough goaltending um they they drafted Tarasenko, who was like their one offensive star for a long time, and then they just won a trade with O'Reilly, right? So it, it's it's hard to see like when you look at okay, how are these teams built, right? A huge part of it is okay. Well, we need to get some really really great players in the draft, right? Well, mm-hmm. the Coyotes have sucked at drafting, frankly, right? At least at least high up. Like it, it, frankly, it doesn't matter if you pull a Connor Brown out of the draft in the sixth round. It, it's nice, right? And Andreas Janssen, it's nice. If the Leafs did exactly what they did with all their other draft picks, but missed on William Nylander and Mitch Marner, 
they they're not a good team. Oh yeah, right. There's Those no, are the highest yeah. leverage uh, picks. It, so getting a Connor Brown is good. That's not making or breaking your team though. What makes or breaks yeah, your no. team is getting the stars. Yeah, the reality is is that if you had to choose between a team that hit on all of its first round picks proportionate to their draft position, and then kind of missed everything else, or a team that was kind of blew its first round picks but had surprising hits the rest of the way. You'd still take the former because you need to get the elite talent somewhere, and there are many more avenues to get that supporting cast. You can do that lots of ways. You still want to draft well, but unless you're getting a Pavel Datsuk or a Henrik Zetterberg, the odds are that you still need a pipeline into your team of the very best talent. So Dylan Strom not working out for them is huge. Clayton Keller, I mean, I think he's... I think Clayton Keller has delivered for, for a given value. We've been back and forth on his value, and I, I think the analytics community as a whole has kind of been that. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, I don't really see the road forward for them unless they get a huge injection of talent, which could certainly happen. But otherwise, they're left hoping for more miraculous goaltending seasons to get them to, like, 12th. So Pretty much. All yeah, right. that's we, kind of where they're, where they're at. Yes, we shall. The Boston Bruins, I am sorry to say, are an extremely well-run franchise. They're really enviable in a lot of respects. Mm. I know it, you know it, neither of us like it, but we have to accept it. Now, they have benefited from, as we were just saying, those strange career arcs from Bergeron and Marchand, where they both got very good. A little later than expected. You know, they were good, but they took a further step. And they've both stayed good, especially in Bergeron's case, with basically no sign of decline. Bergeron is 34 and has played through pretty much every injury you can imagine. And he's still great. Maybe one of these years he gets old and then finally Boston fades away from contention. But as it stands right now, they're an outstanding team. Yep, um, uh, getting Pasternak yeah. is one of the best draft hits of the past, you know, five, ten years. Like, him and Point. Or the, uh, Point is mm-hmm. kind of an order of magnitude more because he was a third-round pick and Pasternak was a late first. But, like, mm-hmm. Jesus, Pasternak's good. Yeah, unbelievable. Might have run the won the Rocket Richard this year, which is kind of crazy to think about, but... From, you know, our, our intimate experience with the Boston Bruins, unfortunately, we know full well what they can do, and we know that they still have an unanswerable first line. I haven't really seen a great solution to that. I don't think one exists. You can survive them, and then, you know, they can be beat. They're not invincible. But they have, I still think, the best line in hockey. And they have good supporting pieces. You know, McAvoy has also come into his own for them. Mm-hmm. Brandon Carlo, Brandon Carlo has done well. You know, just a surprising amount of really good drafting to kind of go with uh, some players who were aging like Wine, good coaching, uh, some good additions like, you know, the Andre Cash, Cash trade. I'm frustrated that they got out of Bacchus with basically no pain or like minimal pain, like they lost a late first but also got Kasha in the bargain. I don't know. It's just, it's frustrating watching them succeed like this. It really is. You know? We we spent a lot of time talking about Boston, so we probably don't yeah. need to 
discuss them that much. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we might be able to, might be able to move on quickly because, like, you know, yes, Boston's in a very good position. I mean, it depends on how their, their stars age, but they're in a good position going forward, too. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the Charlie Coyle deal might end kind of stupidly by the time that wraps up, but, you know, who cares? Like, there, there will be eventually a bill to pay for Boston, and if Bergeron ever decides to get old, it could happen soon. But until it does, they are a top-five team in the NHL consistently. This year, I would have them probably second. And so, hats off to them for that. Also, you know, we, they've been made a punchline of because they famously had three picks in a row in the first round. And there was that infamous tweet that said, you know, oh shit, uh, Boston could get Barzil, Connor, and Shillington here. And all they got out of it was really Jake DeBrusque, who was pretty good. But, like, if they'd gotten Barzil and Connor, they'd be a dynasty. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be insane. I mean, I mean they would have had to God, trade because... some people. I guess Barzil isn't a... They'd have to trade... Barzil's co- contract is coming up this year. Connor's was up last year. Um, and maybe they'd have to to trade someone, but like, yeah, if you if you if you need to trade Car- Charlie Coyle and I don't know Sean Corrali to make that happen, you do it. Yeah, I think you you get that to work out. So I mean, I guess we're grateful that they did famously botch that because they have otherwise done an excellent job. And so yeah, uh, Christ, I think I'm gonna vomit. I've said so many consecutive positive things about the Boston Bruins. <laughs> yeah. All right, so vile. We can move on and talk about the Buffalo Sabers. We kind of talked about them last week, so we we don't really need to say oh. much here. Um, they're the opposite of Boston. They're not well run on any level. <laughs> not a lot going well there. Uh, yeah, this is not a well run franchise. I don't know if Jason Botterill is going to still have his job in the near future as the general manager of that team. I don't know that he's done a lot to especially deserve it. Because this team is a fucking tire fire and has made no demonstrable progress in any serious way in, like, what, two, three years? Like, they got to a point where they were this mediocre, mid-level, 70 to 80 point kind of team that starts season strong and then kind of fades. Like, they might get to 80 points by the end of this year, which is about where I had them, but it's like, this kind of sucks, you know? They haven't done anything in, like, a decade in a playoff perspective. And believe me, I know the feeling. But I don't know what the road out of here is. You know, we got asked a question last week of how do you fix the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, you got to get some more talent, we basically said. And, yeah, Einstein Insights from the guys at Back to Excited. But the fact is, that's what they got to do. And I don't know that they are that well positioned to do it. They could be in a position where they're picking 8 to 12th for a long time because Jack Eichel is brilliant and they struggle to surround him with a good supporting cast. Now, you're never doomed if you are both smart and lucky and if the Sabres get smarter and luckier, this could change. They still have key core pieces. But this looks to me like a team that after all that chewing and throwing, talent in, talent out, more talent out than talent in, let's be honest, they're really well set up to go to exactly where they are already. Have fun with that. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. um, Gosh, I don't know what to say. I I guess it's just worth noting that Katie Middlestat 
I feel a little bad almost at this point picking on that kid. Because like we're basically bullying a 19-year-old or 20-year-old kid. Yeah, I know. Are we bad people? Uh, we are bad yes. people, aren't we? Okay. Anyway, he hasn't at all delivered on his draft slot yet. Maybe he'll get better. I mean, it's not even necessarily his draft. I mean, I guess he hasn't lived up to his draft slot. He was picked, what, 10th? But that's not like, oh, no. can't miss territory. <laughs> but he hasn't delivered on the hype because I think he was expected to go higher. His skill level is off the charts. And he had a ridiculous mm-hmm. role juniors in his draft plus one year. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess it was more hype. Yeah, he was picked eight. So oh, eight, not ten. Yeah. So yeah. It's eight. Yeah, but that's... It, it, you're still enough. yeah you're still not into like oh this guy you know that that's it's not uncommon to to kind of get only an okay NHL player at at eight yeah and that's so, probably what you know. he'll end up becoming yeah well unfortunately for them they have the well they're slated to get the seventh pick obviously pending the outcome of the lotteries mm-hmm. and you know. A lottery win could inject more talent, although it's just the thing that you keep thinking is they already won the lottery and got Deline. And, you know, it's tough for a defenseman to come in and, and change the whole game up. But, yeah, this could get better in a couple of years. Lots of things could happen. But the evidence in Buffalo lately has been not to expect that. I would be despairing if I were a Buffalo Sabres fan. I would actually have stopped watching. Like, I would take the attitude of, if this team is going to fuck around and finish 23rd every year, I will find something else to do with my time until they do something. And so, you know, I I could see being one of a lot of fans who tune in at the start of the year and unfortunately fall for one of these false dawns where they have an early winning streak and then watch as they fade away again. And we've said, like, two years in a row now, like, when they were kind of riding high around November or whatever, we said, okay, they look all right, they've banked a few points, all they have to do is not fall apart down the stretch, and they always do. So, yeah, this is about as damning an assessment as I can have, because I genuinely don't know that there's a team that is more frustrating than the Buffalo Sabres right now. Yeah, from a fan's perspective, it's it's pretty awful. All right. Um, yeah. Who is next? The Calgary Flames. The Calgary Flames are interesting because they're kind of having an iffy year. After a year that was quite good. And then, yeah, I mean, last year they were good, and then they came apart in the playoffs, essentially. They did, yeah. Right? Just got roundly outplayed by Colorado, I believe. Yeah, yeah, they, they got uh, beat like a rug. And... You know, they did have a bunch of players having spectacular career years. Mark Giordano was legitimately the best defenseman in the NHL last season. And, you know, now he's 36 and (laughs) age comes for us all. But, like, a ton of guys had huge offensive seasons that they're not repeating. Most prominently, Johnny Gaudreau. Like, he was 99 points last year. And he's on pace to drop, like, what? Yeah, trying to do math in my head here, but he's going to drop 25, 30 points year over year. That's rough. Is it mostly shooting Even just, percentage-based? Because I'm guessing it is. Yeah, no, he's had a huge slump. But the fact remains that, you know, they had all of these guys who had huge career years, and now they've come back a little bit. And so the the coincidental timing of how everything worked out for them 
made them look like sort of a pseudo contender almost. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure they're quite there. They're not a bad team. No, they're they're about a league average talent. team, right? When you look at yeah. fancy stats, when you look at their position in the standings, they're like, what's their overall league positioning? Oh yeah, I meant to uh, to indicate they're 17th. Right. So so that's an extremely average outcome. Yeah, yeah. right around league average. They, I think they're in a decent position going forward. They're top four forwards are all locked up all of them on on good deals um for at least three years right kachuk mm-hmm. goodrow monahan backland i guess maybe backing you have a bit more concern because he's 31 right now and he's signed for another four years after this one um mm-hmm. but he he's a good player uh kind of a mini bergeron in a way like very good play driver doesn't doesn't bergeron's no longer underrated because everyone knows how good he is but backland might still be they have Lucic, which is the turd in the punch bowl, <laughs> but it's an otherwise pretty clean cap sheet. Um, yeah. I know they, they traded yeah. Neil. Like, so they traded one problem for another, but like Neil seemed like less of a problem than Lucic, frankly. Yeah, we said at the time, this is, you know, trash can for dumpster, but Calgary is slightly losing this deal, probably. Actually, you know what? There's something that I would like to check, mm-hmm. and I'm going to sort of vamp on air because I'm trying to build a sense of mystery. Well, you discern what it is I'm checking out there in Listerland. What could he possibly be looking at? That mysterious, strange man. Okay. Yeah, James Neal has 19 goals. Milan Lucic has 8. And so I think that means that the third-round pick from their deal conveys from Edmonton to Calgary because if I recall correctly... The condition on the pick was that it would move if there was a 10-goal or more gap in Neil's favor in goals at the end of this year. So I guess that helps a little bit on Calgary's end. It's still like... I mean, there was no answer where they weren't looking at a pretty gross contract. Neil's is still bad. Lucic is still bad. So maybe it was just... This may not matter a huge amount, but I, I don't know. I think they talked themselves into a bunch of fresh start nonsense. And yeah, it didn't, we are. didn't work out incredibly well. I mean, they're in a good cap position going forward. I think if they just mm-hmm. kind of punt on Brody and Hemonic, who are both UFAs after this year, and kind of replace them yeah. internally with Shillington and Rasmus Anderson. Anderson, they've signed to a long-term deal. And I, I like Anderson. I, I think his numbers aren't amazing right now. But, you know, people who I trust have liked him enough that I... I'm on board with him. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you know they're, they'll be fine on that front. Um, the the goaltending is the a bit of a question mark, right? Yeah, and it always is in Calgary. They've always been one of those teams that's kind of linked to goaltenders. Right now, they've got Dave Riddich and Cam Talbot. Talbot's been pretty okay this year, by most accounts. Riddich has been up and down, kind of middling. Goaltending hasn't sunk them this year, though, which is not something you could always say. Mm-hmm. The only thing I would say about Calgary is that it would be a shame to waste what you have left of Mark Giordano because, you know, he's a very, very good defenseman, but he's also quite up there in age. Yeah, he's been, he's been but, a bit of an you know, ageist wonder to some extent, but as you've said, father time comes for us all. Yeah. And, and, you know, and he was a late bloomer and all that, so it may not seem like he's as old as he is. But again, like 36, there are not many guys playing at all in their late 30s anymore throughout the NHL. And that's a change 
from my youth when you would still see guys in their late 30s often kind of surrounding the edges of teams and providing a lot of that leadership. Now it's not uncommon for a lot of guys to get shown the door by, you know, their early to mid 30s. It's funny. I was, uh, Sportsnet was replaying a Leafs Flames game um, from October 2006. Um, mm-hmm. Yesterday, I think. And Mark Giordano was playing in that game. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, oh, gee, he looks exactly the same, too. That's the that's the funny thing. <laughs> Did he, he, like, he'd lost all his hair by that point? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah, so... The, yeah, I, I was, Baldness I was comes at, for us all like father time. The only... Yeah. The only other player who I saw in that game who I'm like, oh, he's definitely still in the NHL, is Alex Steen. And Alex Steen was a wonderful player in his prime. He's nowhere near as good now. Right? He's certainly yeah. not, like, a, a high-end player at this point in his career. Yeah, so... You know that's that's tough. It's tough to age extremely well. Uh, it's, I mean, it's so rare to do even what he's done. Period. But yeah, so that's a bit of a transition thing. That said, as you say, they are a team with a lot to recommend them. Like I like the forward core, uh, Lucci aside. I like the up and comers on defense in Anderson and Hannafin. You know, I th- I think that there's certainly a lot to be excited about and at any given time you know you could certainly see this team get it together and go on a bit of a surge to the top of the west they're one of a lot of teams in that mushy middle where they're not that far off and you know every now and then a team kind of flips the switch like they make a big acquisition they have a big draft hit who comes in and uh, is a real impact player for them they just get lucky and go on a PDO bender. You know, they had some of these things come together for them last season, and they briefly rose to looking like a real contender. And so now they're kind of back down a rung, but I could see them surging up at any time. I think Calgary's in probably an enviable position for a lot of the league, certainly in terms of having their talent under control. Yes. All right, who is next? Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. So they're kind of interesting. They're in 11th, uh, just ahead of us on games played. They're kind of getting screwed by being in a strong division, aren't they? Mm-hmm. In terms of playoff, Metro's probably. unforgiving. Yeah. Because um, they're a pretty good team, you know? I think they're pretty decent. Yeah, no, I, th- I think Carolina, um, you know, they're they're in the discussion for the best-managed team in, in the NHL. Yeah, I've really admired a lot of what they've done the last few years. Just good contract after good contract, by and large. Like, the the Jake Gardner deal early on is not maybe everything they hoped it would be. He's had a bit of a rough year. He's also been absolutely screwed by PDO. Yeah. So, yeah. But there's a lot to like there. I mean, Aho, huge draft hit. Completely fine contract. I mean, we talked a bit about how they... They let him get offer-shooted, but the fact is they, you know, they kept control of the player, and it's fine. Uh, Tara Vinen, great addition. Need a writer. Huge trade win. I, you know, Trocek is an interesting actor. They're a team who's won a bunch of trades. Yeah, a remarkable number of trades. Like, the more you look at it, this is a team that, to a large extent, was built on the trade market. Dougie Hamilton comes to mind, too. Now, they've also drafted extremely well defensively. Jacob Slavin, huge. Um, 
but yeah, it's uh, it's impressive, and yet at the same time, you do wonder: Are they one player away? Are they are they two players away? Like, how close are they to getting to that point where we're like, oh yeah, this is a, a team that can go toe to toe with Boston or something like that? Yeah. I, so one thing was the Brady Shea acquisition was I didn't get that doesn't seem like their type at first, but Carolina is one of the few teams mm-hmm. where like. I give them the benefit of the doubt relative to, like, what I and hockey Twitter thinks. Like, for a lot of... Like, for Anaheim, for example, when they made the um, Kasha trade to Boston, I, along with the rest of hockey Twitter, was like, okay, that seems kind of dumb from Anaheim unless they're really sure that something's completely fucked up with, with Kasha's health, right? Mm-hmm. So, with um, with Shea, them, with her, the Hurricanes acquiring Shea, I'm like, okay, I don't really love Shea as a player, but what are they seeing that I'm not? Yeah, because they've consistently built great defense groups. The Ducky Hamilton injury, man, that really sucks because he was having a fantastic year for them when he went down. He really was, and um, well, the interesting thing again, I guess, this kind of goes back to to shade. They have a, quite a few defensemen on long term deals now. They have five defensemen mm-hmm. making above four million on long term deals, which is an interesting way to run your team. Yes, isn't it? Like they. And they, I mean, they seem to have decided that's the best way to go for them. Maybe they want to trade Gardner, which, again, would seem out of character to me because that seems exactly like selling low. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, just wait for him to get a bit more of a PDO bounce. And then if you want to move him, you can. But, yeah. I mean, the rumor is there's no market for him right now. Yeah. And, you know, maybe there isn't. But, yeah. The other thing, I don't think people realize how good Andre Sveshnikov is. Mm, yeah, he is going to be a superstar. Yes. Seriously. Like, I mean, people know him probably now more than anything for for the lacrosse goal, which he, he's, he's mm-hmm. done it enough that I'm fine just calling it the Sveshnikov. Yep. Right? Like, I know people call it the Michigan. First off, it never made sense how we called it the name of the team instead of the player on the University of Michigan who made that play. Second of all, no one knows who the fuck that guy is. It was in the NCAA. No, it, Basically, it doesn't count. Ugh. It's the Svechnikov. Okay, I'm sorry, but, like, college hockey people get like this and, like, claim some sort of thing as being, like, oh, this is emblematic, and they just want it to be, like, about the pureness of college hockey. And shut up. You know, like, I just, I don't want to hear it. It's the Svechnikov. He pulled it off in the NHL. It took a lot of cojones to do it, and I respect that. It's like, it's like the same way it was, it's, um, the one-hand shootout move is, is called the Forsberg, right? He wasn't the first guy yeah. to do it, but he did it in the most important moment, right? And that's what resonates. If someone does this in the Stanley Cup final, they will have a chance of claiming the title away from the Sveshnikov. But until that time, the Sveshnikov is what that goal is called. Yes, I'll also Sorry, accept the cross goal, but like, anyway. Mm. But the point is, Andrei Sveshnikov is amazing. Mm-hmm. He is really, really good. Like, stupendous play driving. And I know it can be hard to tease that out in Carolina, because... Everyone there seems to be good at it, <laughs> right? You yeah. wonder, okay, to what extent is there, like, you know, who's really driving the boat here? But Sveshnikov looks absolutely unreal. Um, and he's he's just about to turn 20. Yep. He actually turns 20 this week. But, like, I think that maybe especially in Toronto, because we just had an experience of, like, a lot of young talent coming in, it's really rare to come in before age 20 and be phenomenal. And he's done it. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that that that's gonna pay dividends for them. Mm-hmm. Martin Natchez, I like as well. Uh, not on the same level as Svechnikov, like as an overall player, I don't think. But 
he's yeah. still good. Good pick, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They put him in the teens, right? Or 11 or something? Yeah, I remember, actually, because he was close enough that... He was the, he was the faint hope sure. that, oh, maybe he drops. Exactly. To, to in 2017, when yeah. we ended up taking Liljegren. And yeah, I, he was one of those guys I was like, okay, somebody in this group is going to drop. It turned out it was Liljegren. Uh, I, I wouldn't have minded at all if it was Martin Nishes, But, yeah, he went 12th. And, yeah, another good addition. Man, I really, I gotta say I do envy, in a lot of respects, how well Carolina is run. Yeah, no, they they they, they seem to be done a lot of things really really well. They seem to be yeah. yeah. Um, they also ha- they have a bit of an advantage compared to like the Leafs in that like, the, I, I'm I'm kind of convinced now that <laughs> the Leafs cannot get a good deal on any RFA who plays with them because he's going to be too hyped up. Right. There is definitely a press differential. Carolina that's doesn't have sure. that issue. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's true, and, and well, I mean. Yeah, I, I don't know if I want to risk making excuses for our RFA deals, but it is fair to say they've captured a lot of value mm-hmm. in a lot of spaces. And partly they've done it, again, by investing in defense. I'm convinced that at some point, Eric Tulski, who came in, said, hey, if we're trying to build a good team on a budget, the way to do that is to get very high fancy stat impact defensemen who don't have insane point totals for the most part, or to get undervalued defensemen who drive play in general. Because they have pursued those guys time and time again in Hamilton, uh, in Jake Gardner. And so, they've done a really good job. It's hard to get to that top table. It really is. It's something Especially that we're wrestling with. Especially only having one high yeah. draft pick. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I certainly, though, I would say if you have to be one of those teams that's kind of middling, and now they have an owner who, say what you will about him, has been spending. You know, they, they they aren't behaving too much like a budget team. Uh, they actually picked up Vincent Trocek from a team that is currently trying to cut salary in the Florida Panthers. Yeah, I I think that you should be legitimately really excited for the future if you're a Carolina Hurricanes fan. And again, I guess the, the constant issue with them is is the goaltending. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you look at their, their on-ice numbers are, are wonderful. Right, they're consistently some of the strongest in the league. Their goaltending is, and their PDO in general is is not great. Right, so they don't have amazing shooters. Right, they're not a team like Tampa who seems to continually sustain high on ice shooting percentages, and their goaltending isn't phenomenal. They also lose some value. They, they take more penalties than they draw. That's interesting. Yes, yeah, so they lose a bit of value there. Like I'm looking at this over the course of their entire season, pretty much consistently the entire year, they're they are drawing more penalties than they take or sorry drawing fewer penalties than they take so they're at you know you're, you're losing like you know a third of a goal per game based on that it is interesting wondering if that is a fixed problem or if that's noise you know there's been a lot of variance in in year over year penalty drawing versus taking that that i think i've seen yeah but yeah th- that's interesting if that's sustained obviously it is a problem yeah that you know as you said that hurts you so Something to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, still by and large, you know, it's not perfect. You'd love, obviously, I mean, every team would love to inject talent, but this has been a team that has shown that they can make smart additions through multiple avenues, and they haven't made a ton of mistakes. I, I thought the stuff last season where they kind of let their GM interview for another job was a little bit weird. 
and the Sebastian Ajo thing, I'm still not sure if they managed that especially well, but the fact was they got to keep a good player on a low salary uh, for the caliber of player that he is. So, yeah, things are mostly coming up roses in Carolina. It's just kind of too bad for them that they're in a difficult division and they might get shut out of the playoffs if such playoffs should occur. Yeah. All right, who's next? All right, the Chicago Blackhawks. We probably have to speed this up as well. (laughs) We're an hour in. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) This happened the last time. It's happening this time. Uh, The Chicago Blackhawks, I mean, what do you say? For, uh, you know, six or seven years, they were the gold standard franchise of the NHL. And now they kind of suck. Yep, and they've made a lot of weird decisions trying to reclaim kind of old glory. The amount of talent that has passed through Chicago, though, in the course of that semi-dynasty... I think it's fair to call them a dynasty. Ridiculous. Three cups in six years, yeah, right? Yeah, you know what? That's a, they're, as, they're as close as we're going to have in the modern era. Yeah, that's a dynasty. So, yeah. But, like, the fact that they had Artemi Panarin and Dustin Bufflin and Brian Campbell and, like, all of these guys who have, have or were, like... Andrew Shaw, Patrick star Sharp. superstar player. Yeah, just, like... An obscene amount of talent. It's wild to think about that. Um, I, I still like if you look at that 2010 Blackhawks team, and this is easier to see with hindsight, but they were obscenely stacked. Yep. Like that was just Martin Havlat, Chris Versteeg, just ridiculous yeah. amounts of talent. And Hosa was Hosa, so yeah. so so good. Yeah. Um, oh, anyway, but that's kind of all done now. So <laughs> yeah, they're kind of bad. <laughs> They've now. got. Um, I mean, yeah. in terms of young talent, they, they, have, to, they have to bring it. They have, um, yeah. what's his face, Kubelik. He got a hat-trick against us. Yeah. Yeah, he did. But he's 24. Yeah. He's he's one of those sneaky old yeah, rookies. So. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, oh, shit, he does have 30 goals this year, though. Yes. I didn't even know yeah, that. Yeah, no, he, he's been ah. good all year. It wasn't just against us. Oh, all right, fine. I just dismiss it because I assume, like, pretty much... Anonymous creative player B is gonna tear us a new. What you only scored a hat trick against us? <laughs> fucking scrub. Who was it? You know, fucking Mark Pissick. Who was a defenseman most of the time? <laughs> Who's a defensive defenseman? A f- yeah, like this is not a guy who is renowned for his scoring talent. He probably hasn't had a, a hat trick since friggin' Pee Wee, and yet they played him at forward against us, and he scored three times. Yeah, this is a guy who is currently setting his career high in goals with nine in the season. <laughs> he got a third of his goals against us. He got us. a hat-trick against us. That's sad. Oh. Jesus. What a dumb year this has been. Yeah. I mean, okay, <laughs> a, so... a dumb year. Just to, to quickly I talk about Chicago. Uh, they're, yeah, yeah. They're not very good. I don't think they're going to be good for a little bit. Their their GM doesn't seem smart. He seems like... It seems like the game's passed him by to some extent. Like, he's kind of... It seems like they're almost panicking at all times. Mm-hmm. And, like... They just—they don't, don't know what to do anymore. Yeah, so and it's tough. The, tough the Panarin facade deal was, I think, okay, a deal that ended up being really, really bad. Saad's a good player. It's just he's. It, it, I'll defend them in some to some extent here and say it was not clear whether Panarin would be this good away from Patrick Kane. Mm-hmm. Turns out he's better than Patrick Kane at least at this point in, of their careers. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like that was. You know, disastrous. Um, Saad's a good player, but Panarin might be a top five forward in the world. Yeah, I, I, but I will say 
I thought that trade was not that big a gap in value at the time that it happened. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought and, Columbus won yeah. that deal, but not by a ridiculous amount. Yeah, I kind of was like, oh, Chicago's getting the band back together as they they want to do, but whatever, it's fine. And I believe Saad had, had a longer-term deal. So it was like a, a deal for cost certainty, effectively, um, mm-hmm. where it was like, okay, we're not sure if we're going to be able to keep Panarin after his... After his, I think he signed a bridge deal after his ELC. Um, we're not sure we'll mm. be able to keep him after that. But nonetheless, it worked out horribly, and there were signs that Panarin was that good, right? Um, Panarin's really the, the greatest KHL import success story of modern times. Yeah, it's it's not really even close, to be honest with you. Like, Dodonov has also been very good, but Panarin is... Panarin is the guy. He's actually, like, when he does eventually retire... He's easily going to be in the conversation for the greatest undrafted players in the history of the NHL. Like, I think that that's clear. Panarin might um, have a sneaky, depending on how the rest of his career goes, obviously, he might have a sneaky Hall of Fame case. Where it's like, how much do you penalize yeah. him for only coming to the NHL when he's 24? Right? Like, he came in, he yeah, was immediately brilliant. Probably would have been good at 23, 22 as well. It's, it's also the Hockey Hall of Fame, not the NHL Hall of Fame. So his stuff in Russia yeah. does count. I think what will hurt him is that, like, there's probably not a huge opportunity to have international best-on-best competitions anymore, aside from NHL World Cups, which, or, you know, the World Cup run by the NHL, which is not really going to happen um, soon at this point, it, it appears. So, and even if it did, like, yeah. Canada and the U.S. are such overwhelming favorites because Russia just does not have the defense group to, to really win. No. Uh, you know... It, it is kind of remarkable how their talent goes so strongly to forward. Um, but yeah, so... Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how it develops. He was having a phenomenal year. Like, he was threatening to drag a not very good, frankly, New York Rangers team to the playoffs. I don't know if he would have done it. They were just narrowly out at the time of the suspension. But they were very close. And... It was a product of several things, but he was on fire. Just a fantastic player. Anyway, uh, that's far afield from Chicago, I mean, though. F- fuck Chicago. Let's just keep talking about Canarin. Um, when, you, when you look at his... <laughs> but we'll get to the Rangers. Yeah. Well, yeah. that'll be probably yeah. next week, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Chicago, whatever. Fuck them. They had their time in the sun. They can go to hell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the Seabrook thing is just going to get... Like, he's done. I'm sorry. Like, they've rebuilt three quarters of his body and he's 34 more machine than man at this point (laughs) twisted and evil yeah but he you know he's 34 and he hasn't been good in a while the the sad thing is the sad thing is there like there are you know people who have watched the nhl for like six years at this point who are like was was brent seabrook ever good i've heard people argue that he wasn't like, they've looked at his year-over-year threat and stuff like that, and they're like, maybe this guy just kind of got carried. And I'm like, I think he was good at one point. Yeah. I mean, I'm... At, that point was a while I'm looking, ago. No, he was definitely good at one point. Like, I'm looking at his, his, yeah. his RAPM year-over-year now. He, he was he was good up until, like, 2013, 2014. And then it just really went... Like, basically, <laughs> Flip was switched in, like, 14, 15. So he, he, he was consistently above average until 2013, 2014. 2014-15, he was basically slightly below average in uh, RAPM. 
every year thereafter, he has been like one of the worst in the league. His current deal only kicked in in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I mean, see, uh, the thing is, <laughs> we know there, there's not going to be any actual penalty for it. Like they're they're going to claim he has an injury no. and he, you know, he'll get his money and Chicago will be LTIR. And I guess we're not in a huge position to talk about that. Um, no. I do think the Leafs actually were more above board with most of the LTIR stuff that they've done than Chicago. Oh yeah, no, Chicago to be clear has innovated in this field, let's say. And while we have availed ourselves of certain innovations, the fact is, what's the most Chicago has done a lot of thing we show. did? It's probably the loophole and Robida stuff, right? Yeah, I would say there was some aggressive use of conditioning loans, but I don't think that that really matters. And loophole, you know what? They uh, they challenged it, and we were fine. Oh yeah, the Jared Cowan buyout. Was, uh, that, no, but that was a whole That affair. was just taking advantage of the uh, buyout rules, right? Because he was under 25 or under 26 or something. Yeah, and to be honest, like, his side of that from a legal perspective was weaker than ours. Like, he kind of swung back and forth on, oh, I was too injured to play after I said, oh, I want to play. Because he realized that we were going to buy him out and take his money. So, yeah, but Chicago is uh, has always flown rather close to the sun. I'm going to say for the millionth time that I think off-season LTIR is not something that exists in the CBA and that the league put it in to accommodate the Chicago Blackhawks. Anyway, doesn't matter. But the the upshot of all this is they've got a bunch of these big clunky contracts for a few years. They can't defend worth a good goddamn. Defense is they can still sort of score. It's atrocious. And, you know, at some point you do want to defend, even though as Leafs fans we consider defense sort of a strange and speculative concept. So, yeah, I think that they're just going to fade gently away for the next few years. Have fun with that. Again, worth mentioning, um, um, Alex Dabrinkit, another very, very good post-first-round pick. Yeah, he was huge. And, you know... It's kind of too bad, because I think that he's going to be a little bit wasted for a while, but they can sort of imagine that when they're returning to relevance, Dabrinkit will still be good. So Yeah, and I mean, they have, he'll be, what, 24, 25 when his bridge deal expires, and then um, they'll sign him to a, a longer-term deal. I think his numbers this year have taken a bit of a hit. I don't know what the reason is, but um, yeah, he's, I mean, I'm not... Yeah. It, it sounds strange to say for such a young player, but like I, I 100% buy his shooting talent, given how historically good he was as a goal scorer in junior as well. He just scores goals everywhere he goes. Yeah, his shooting percentage like is... He's just one of those guys where it's like, that's his thing. His shooting percentage in his first three years in the NHL, 15%, 19%, 8 Right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, so, maybe yeah. he's on 18% shooter the rest of his life, but he's probably a 12 or 13 yeah, at least. So, you know, I, I think there's that. But, yeah, th- I mean, I don't think Chicago is very good. And yep. so that's that's the end of that. The Colorado Avalanche are pretty good. I never quite take them as seriously as people seem to, though. Mm-hmm. And I probably, like, relative to their spot in the standings, because they're third in the NHL right the now. Plus 46 goal They're ahead of Tampa Bay. Yeah, and so everything about them... Says, like, look, we're the real deal. We're a, a big contender. And you know what? They have decent numbers. Very good numbers, actually. actually. Yeah. 53% Corsi. Yeah. 
two and a half percent expected goals. It's good enough, especially when you have you know Nate McKinnon um, on your team. So like you have high end talent. You have him and Rantanen. You have Landeskog. You have Makar. You you have a reason to think okay yeah we can outshoot our you know outshoot our numbers a little bit. Yeah, you know you put this whole thing together and you think you know what it's it's time for me to accept the Colorado Avalanche are the real deal, or at least that they're really good. Mm-hmm. And credit to them for that. They also have like a stupid amount of cap space next season for a team that is as good as they are. They're gonna have some decisions to make on uh, Andrew Burakovsky and uh, a couple other guys. I don't think Tyson Jost has done a ton to earn himself a big raise, mm-hmm. but like they're in a position to add to this group because they have McKinnon on such a great deal and Landis Gog still has a year to go. And, and they've been injured, but, you too. You know, they like, should be all in. Rantanen and Kadri have been injured, you know, on and off this year. I think Rantanen had like, a bit of a long-term injury, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, and it's, so, and Grubauer has been down, which is kind of remarkable. Like, Michael Hutchinson was actually their backup in the NHL nominally at the time of the suspension. Uh, which, we can tell you how that goes. But, yeah, the truth is is that they're in a pretty incredible position. Obviously, Kale McCarr coming in and being basically a superstar defenseman from the jump has been huge for them. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Kale McCarr is going to win a Norris Trophy one day. And maybe not. Maybe next year. Far off of one day. Yeah. Like, he's, yeah. He's, really like... <laughs> good. he's really, really good. Yeah. So, you know what? Credit to them. And I also have to say, because I don't think... I, I know St. Louis are the reigning champs, and they've been hot lately, and they have actually pulled ahead of Colorado. But I don't think St. Louis is, like, totally out of reach either. So you have a West that Colorado could win. And they're well set up to be pretty competitive for a while because they have a ton of young talent on good to very good deals in McKinnon's case. So last year they they yeah, were a bit of a man. We all have to just sack. Last it, year but. they were a bit of a one line team, right? And that doesn't seem like it's the case mm-hmm. this year. Um, Valerie Nachushkin has had kind of a stunningly good year as someone who kind of always believed in his talent and then was never vindicated because he kept just like not scoring. I'm I'm happy to see he's done well. Who knows if it's going to yeah. continue? But I'd like to see, think that it would, right? Um, Getting Kadri helped their depth a little bit. They, they, they just got some more competent players, it seems. They went out and basically bought a second line, too. They got, you know, Donskoy, Burakovsky, and Kadri right there. Uh, that's a good second line's worth of players. And, like, they were just able to inject them clean into the lineup because of their cap flexibility and because they traded Tyson Berry, as well as Alexander Kerfoot. So... Yeah, I mean, they're in a very enviable position in a lot of respects. I don't think... I mean, I don't love some of the defense depth. Eric Johnson is, is okay, and so is Sam Gerrard. So. Eric Johnson's one of those guys yeah, who always feels like vaguely disappointing team. because he was a first overall pick, and he, like, has not... He, but he's had, like, a very good, like, career as a... Not journeyman, but as, as a guy who's played on a bunch of teams, but has been, like, kind of an average to above average defenseman, like, on every team. Yeah, he's merely pretty good, and at first overall, you want superstar. But, yeah, you know, Colorado's in good shape. Very really like just not a lot of complaints, so should be yeah, a contender for the foreseeable. They've future. also got yeah. Like the other crazy thing is that they got Bowen Byram, 
as a result of that absolute robbery Matt DeShane trade. Mm-hmm. And if he, you know, delivers on his potential, which is considered to be a very good, eventually, NHL defenseman, Colorado could be pretty scary for a while. <laughs> so, yep, good for them. Uh, you know, the longer I look at it, the more I think that they're as well-positioned as any team that I can think of. Yeah, seems seems uh, that way. Yeah. The Columbus Blue Jackets... Uh, or not. <laughs> it's a land of contrasts here. Not in that category. No. And uh, look, yeah. I am on board with what Columbus did last year. And I know I've, I've had disagreements with like... I'm not. I, yeah, I've had disagreements with very smart people besides Fulman, um, about this. <laughs> and look, it's just... I guess the way I see it is at some point, I, I, I kind of compare it to being a Raptors fan. Because for a long time, the Raptors mm-hmm. were the Blue Jackets of the NBA. They were... A relatively new team had no success right made the playoffs a couple times only to get unceremoniously dumped and sometimes yeah. you know you just kind of lick the stamp and send it lick the thing and send it you don't lick the stamp do you what my metaphors are breaking do down here but some, sometimes you just gotta do it right like do you remember the Seinfeld episode where George gets like poison stamps and then his fiance is licking them to send out wedding invitations and she actually gets poisoned and dies just for no reason. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> no, I, I get what you're saying, though. Like, a team that was mired in kind of mediocrity for a long run, that didn't do a whole lot with Rick Nash, that had a lot of disappointment, that was about to undergo an outflow of talent. I, I do get it. I get what you're saying. Sometimes you got to just try and make a move and do something. And they did get one glorious playoff round. And... Where they clobbered the Tampa Bay And that is a playoff round that's going... I know they lost in the next round to the Bruins. That's a playoff round that's going Mm. to get remembered for a long, long, long time. Yeah. It was a great Goliath taking down David moment, and... Other way around? Credit to them, but, like... uh, Someone did something. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I'm struggling with the orientation of these biblical stories. The point is that... uh, I look at this team now, and they're okay. You know what? Their goaltending has actually been... Like, if you wanted to do a case study and don't pay for goaltending, Sergei Vorovsky going to Florida and being kind of ass, and being replaced by Eunice Corposalo and Elvis Burns-Lickens, and both of them have been pretty good, that's a good suggestion that maybe you shouldn't overpay for goaltending. But I look at the rest of this team, and I'm like... They're better than they have a right to be. To be uh, honest, like expected goals percentage yeah. of like 51.7%, above water and 5v5 goals for. When you look at this team on cap friendly or whatever, and you look at that roster, it doesn't seem like it should be there. Especially with how injured they've been. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they've been super injured. It's worth noting, there are, like someone actually asked me for like a written mailbag a while back. Are the Leafs like the most hammered by injuries? team in the NHL and I looked at it from a couple of angles and there are people like NHL injury viz that try to measure this and it was pretty clear that the Leafs were around third to fifth but the two teams who got really crushed by injuries this year or really hurt are Columbus and Pittsburgh and Columbus has had a ton of talent you know Josh Anderson Seth Jones is huge although how good is Seth Jones yeah it's an way? interesting question we should uh, we should, while we're while the league's on hiatus we should actually just do a how good is blank 
series and they kind of just go back and yeah. forth on controversial players. I think that'd actually be fun. Cause, yeah, you know what? Maybe we should. But at the moment, I don't know. Yeah, nor because do I. Seth Jones seems like a first defenseman. And yet you look at a lot of his numbers and you're like, is he though? And that's hard to countenance because he's, you know, I do have a bit of caution with our ability to measure defenseman quality with some of these metrics sometimes, Mm -hmm. but they mean something and they don't like him as much as I do, as much as his reputation does. And so I'm wondering about that. At any rate, that's interesting. I will say, you know, I've been a bit bit harsh on them, but they have Dubois, they have Wierenski and Jones, and so... Alexander Wenberg has uh, remembered how to score a little bit. Not much, but... That's important, actually, for hockey. Yeah. Yeah. So, among the many things that um, Tom Wilson has, like, ruined, Alexander Wenberg is one of them. Yeah, he got the Tom Wilson special. Yeah, yeah, and he... I'm trying to remember that. At least to my memory, he did. Are... Let me let me look this up. Yep, if I look up. No, I mean, well, first. I mean, you, you yep. choose any NA, random NHL player on the Metro, and odds are they have like gotten brained by uh, Wilson once. Honestly, like suspend that guy from the fucking league. Yeah, it was, just, it was when you, when the league comes back, just leave him in an airport. Or yeah, something. it was it was a blindside hit. Yeah, it was not very good. Um, and. To an extent, uh, Wenberg's offense has kind of just cratered since then. Um, could have nothing to do with it. Could have everything to do with it. We don't know. Um, Wenberg's an interesting player. He, he's a good play driver, but like the guy has no offense. No individual offense at this point. And he's making 4.9 mil. So um, He's a guy who I would have been interested in for the Leafs as a third-line center if Columbus like retained the max on him. So if he, if he yeah, was like... Yeah, but I, I mean right now... Yeah, not anymore. Kerfoot's you know, a better deal, even though I think he's slightly more expensive than that would be, but, yeah. Um, and the other, one of the reasons I, I, I liked him is he and Nylander play well together. They've, they've played together for Sweden uh, at the World Championships, and they were a pretty dominant line there. Not that that means everything, but, you know, um, if we were going to split them up, uh, split Nylander up from, you know, one of the big two centers, that would have been an option. But anyways, that's doesn't matter anymore. Um, I don't have a lot else to say about Columbus, other than the fact that, yeah, they chose you probably shouldn't pay for goaltending. Um, hint, hint to the Leafs in two years. <laughs> and that John Tortorella, as much as I just like him, is probably a pretty good coach. Yeah, and you know what? Going into Columbus, remember at the start, we thought this is probably his last stop on the train. He's out of tricks in his bag. And as much as he's kind of an asshole reporters i think like i actually do think that like it's shitty how he treats some of those people yeah like i like, mean I, like I, do, I think it's not i don't think it's lovable i don't think it's good as, as it's sometimes as funny we, but it's also shitty. as much as we crap on a lot of reporters like they are pretty much just doing their job right and it i know like yeah. you can crap on some of the questions that they play that they ask like oh you know talk about this talk about whatever it's hard to think of good questions right like it's it, sometimes you yeah. literally just need them to say like, okay Tell me how this game went, right? That's all we care. Like, so, yeah, yeah, I think it's good to avoid being dicks to them. Aside from the Edmonton media, he, he, yeah. they can fuck off. Oh, yeah, they deserve it. And you know what? Not enough people are dicks to them in general. But yeah, the thing about Tortorella is when you get, like, a really dumb question or a question with, like, 
a presupposed thesis or something. It's like, uh, why is the team stopped committing or something like that? That stuff would piss me off. You have to challenge like the premise that's taken for granted. But I've seen Tortorella just flip on guys for asking ordinary gamer questions, and it's like, you just gotta do your job. That said, I do remember when that wave of uh, coach controversies came out subsequent to Mike Babcock being fired, when there was a lot of talk about how hockey coaches conduct themselves, there was an article that quoted a surprising number of people, including guys like Anthony Duclair, uh, who, you know, has a lot of reasons to be frankly pissed at Tortorella, but he actually said, look, he's a hard ass, but you're not in any doubt where you stand with him. He's always honest with you, and he's direct, and players appreciate that on some level. And so I'll give him some points for that, because, you know, at least maybe he's avoiding some of the more manipulative stuff. At, at any rate, looking at Columbus at a whole, they just seem to have a lot of mid-level contracts that I don't really envy. Like, I don't want to be paying Cam Atkinson that, or Gustav Nyquist that, yeah, I mean, it, or Boone Jenner it, that. It's, it's unclear how they're going to take the next step into being an actually good team. And I think they kind of, not to say they had their shot and they ruined it, but like, they had a trade go about as well as it could go, short of like Hall for Larson, O'Reilly for fucking no one. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, Saad for Panarin. Man, you robbed the bank on that. Yeah. They've had high picks. They've mostly hit on them. I, I guess Jones is, is a little questionable with what you just discussed. But, yeah, it's... it's... Well, I mean, Jones was a trade, right? From oh, Nashville, sorry. Yes, yes. Yeah. So who's their, who are there? Oh, yeah, they had yeah. Wierenski at eight, Johansson. which is a good pick. Um, yeah, they, they drafted Johansson. Yeah, yeah. They have... And, and Dubois at three. That was a good pick as well. Yeah, over Puglia Yarvi, which not a lot of people believed at the mm-hmm. time was a good idea. Yeah. So, yeah, they're not bad. They're, they're another mushy middle team. I don't like their prospects for moving out of the middle as much as teams like Carolina or Calgary. Uh, that said, they've done a lot in very adverse circumstances this year, largely through unheralded star goaltending. But if they get that again, who knows? And they're healthier? Maybe they're... They're a seed team in the Metro, and we're taking this differently. And they have hung around the playoff race, so good for them. Yep. Uh, okay. Dallas. The Dallas Stars... Are fucking horseshit. <laughs> no, they're, they're, oh, they're not actually. Just absolute... They couldn't resist. No. Uh, yeah, they're 10th in the NHL, which is, you know, non-horseshit. I miss when they were fun. I know that this is, like, kind of working for them. Mm -hmm. They've gone all the way into being, like, a defensive team. But that shit is dull, man. I don't like it. Yeah. Stop. They they were... were, So, yeah, you know. They were firewagon for a while. That was was pretty sick. But, yeah, now now they're they're, they're, they're quite dull. It was so much fun. And they they didn't win. Yeah. And, and, you know, they have a lot of kind of older guys. They signed Joel Pavelski, and we talked about that being a pretty good deal. As, as good as it can be when you're giving $7 million to a guy who was about... Yeah, th- that's the thing. Pavelski's... But he's had, you Pavelski's know, one of those guys yeah. like he's been legi- like kind of that Giordano level where he's just been legitimately good even though he's old as fuck for a hockey player. Yeah, but his production's a little down this year and, you know, you find yourself thinking, okay, I don't know if that deal is going to end super well, but... 
yeah. And then the I you know I remember the last time you did this, you had like the SLN Dell theory, which was like he was the epitome of the guy that you pretend you know about when you pretend you know about a yes. team. No, I still hundred <laughs> percent believe that. I still hundred percent believe. I that. think that I. I think the Lindell theorem has revolutionized hockey. Any team but, that has no, a I, I like good it. playoff run yeah. will have their second pairing defenseman intensely overrated. You know what? That's very likely true. Are there are there other examples? Or is it literally just Lindell? It, I'm, trying, I'm trying to make it in my head. <laughs> Ron Hainsey comes to mind. Although I, I mean, I, the state of the Penguins' defense was such, I, he might have been first pair by the end of that, but. I guess it, it doesn't really work with the with yeah, the Blues because I, their defensemen are all actually genuinely quite good, right? And everyone kind. Of, what about the Capitals? Guys like Orlov. Well, I think or, you, you know Carl. Olsner, you know I oh think Orlov's actually good. I think it's Carlson who's a little yeah. bit overrated, but I think that's more just a points thing. Yeah, Car- Carlson. I think it is. It is points. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Anyway, Whatever. Any N equals one. That's bit. fine. That's a large sample. My yeah. theory still definitely holds. <laughs> um, what's interesting is that, uh, you know, they've kind of gone, yeah, the, the, the transition to being a really defensive team. And it's like, you, you look at some of the defensemen, they have, they have John Klingberg, they have um, Miro Heiskanen, they have Roman Polak, really strong offensive defensemen. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like... I know it's coming and it's With, with, with Klingberg and Heiskanen, it's like, you kind of want to let those guys run free, right? Like, they're, they're very, very... Yeah. On defense, when Heiskanen is, is, you know, I think he's probably gotten less hype because of Hughes and Makar, and they've kind of stolen his luster as the new hotness. But Heiskanen's very good. He's very good. Also, Dallas is like a less traditional hockey market. Yeah, yeah, and D- Dallas is um, less less exciting than Colorado, Colorado. And yeah, it's not a Canadian market, so it's not as won't get as much press as Vancouver. Yeah, the the Jamie Ben deal is going to age like milk. I mean, it probably already has to some he's extent. Had, he's had like, a good year play driving wise, but I think yeah, his his points have dried up. Yeah, and I'm like, when you make nine point five, you kind of need both. Your points drying yeah. up is yeah, like unfortunately you don't get to just be like, oh well, he's a good Corsi player. Yeah, no, you're you know Milan Lucci. Just the reality is you're paid for both at that level, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so you know, I, this is a bit of an aside, if, as, as as if this podcast hasn't gone long enough, but like. When we talk about players, you know, from a stats perspective, we're, we're kind of, we'll often say, oh, you know, he's had a bad shooting percentage here. And, and we know, when we say, what we say of that is, okay, that's not entirely within his control. But the reality is mm-hmm. a lot of these elite players, like Austin Matthews, for example, get paid because he is a great shooting percentage player. Because he has a great sh- right. shooting ability. So if that dries up for a year, it is fair to criticize him for that. Because that's where a lot of his value is coming from, right? Like, you, you can't, on one hand, say pay me because I score goals and then say and I'm not saying Austin Matthews is saying this I'm saying this you know it's a more general thing but you know you can't say oh pay Austin Matthews because he scores goals and then when he stops scoring goals for example say oh he's just unlucky and it'll it'll turn around that that could be partially true but they're also if we accept that he has some control over when he does over his ability to score we have to accept that if it's not going well he has to accept some responsibility for that yeah it's basically you know, what kind of patience do you take with these kind of players? And in the case of Dallas, they've done it. They've married the guy. Um, oh, man, all the Jamie Ben jokes that just came into my head. Anyway, uh, they're, they're stuck with him. He has a no-move clause. 
I don't think he would be especially desirable at that cap hit, even if he didn't. No, five, five more so, years of a 31-year-old? Oh, yeah, that could get bad. That could get quite bad. Tyler Sagan, you know, his deal runs a year longer, he's two years younger, and it's a little bit more. But Tyler Sagan is still legit a star player. And the thing is... Jamie Benn... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's like, if Jamie Benn... Like, right now, his profile looks like he's a good second liner to me. At nine and a half million, as he gets well into his 30s, there's a potential for that to end really ugly in terms of a lot of surplus cap value being left on the table. Um... Yeah, anyway, but that said, you know, the Stars have put together a good defensive team in front of Ben Bishop, who has been excellent, despite the fact that I think a lot of us expected his body to disintegrate, Mm -hmm. I guess is the polite way to say it. You know, like he, you know, has had a pretty difficult injury history. But as long as he stays healthy, and, you know, he's 33, so any time now (laughs) that could stop, but... As long as he's able to keep performing at this high level, he makes them a good team. Off the top of my head, I don't know if they're... Um, if they have very high save percentage, I don't know if that's all the goalie or not. They're, like, defensively, they look legit excellent. And, like, they're a good um, expected goals team. Mm-hmm. You know, like, eighth in the, uh, the NHL in the ratio. So it's like, yeah... I don't know. I guess I'm just... I'm unimpressed with Dallas because they seem to me like they have offensive stars who aren't as good offensively as they should be, and that's what's holding them back. Like, I don't mm-hmm. put them on a level with a Columbus or a St. Louis in the West because of that. And they could beat them anytime Ben Bishop gets hot, but they look to me like a second With Colorado, you mean, or you said Columbus. Yeah, oh, sorry, of course. Oh, with Colorado, sorry. Too many teams. But, yeah. yeah, I I just looked it up. Ben Bishop has had a very, very good year. Um, Like, even when you account for shot quality. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, no one wants to face them in a playoff series, I think, because you probably have a goalie disadvantage if you face them. Yeah. They could beat anybody. They could also lose to anybody, and that's true always in hockey. Yeah, I mean, what what this exercise always tells me when we do this is, like, man, there's a lot of teams where it's just, like, they're one or two breaks away from being good, but it's hard to get those one or... It's hard to plan for those one mm. or two breaks. Yeah. And you could always win a series. Yeah. Like, any team that makes the playoffs has a chance in any series it gets into, including the 8v1 seeds, and Dallas is better than that. But, you know, they're kind of a, a high-end mediocre team, I would say. I, you know, their goal differential is very narrowly positive. I think they're a little better than that. In, in like, but they don't have the offense. In pro wrestling terms, they're me. like an upper level yeah. mid carder, right? Like they're not gonna, they're probably not gonna win a title. Yeah. Um, but like you know, they're they're not gonna get embarrassed either. Yeah, and I think maybe we hope for more after they won the second trade so definitively. But maybe that's not in the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, as we've said. You know, this has been sort of a recurring theme. But when you are a mid-level team, you stop drafting especially high. So, you know, there isn't a huge injection of talent coming. I've heard, you know, a lot of people like Thomas Harley as kind of an interesting defense prospect in their system. But, but, you know, no one's saying superstar potential. 
or anything like that. So, yeah, it's it's a bit... Again, I worry that I'm sounding harsher on them than I should because I think that they're, like, a decent team. And, like, they're probably about the same level team as the Leafs, just very more. different. Yeah, it, with, like, a mirrored orientation almost, except they have a couple big-ticket deals... That go way into yeah. No, the Leafs are in better position because you know the Leafs aren't paying huge money. Like we got nervous about the Jake Muzzin deal. You put Jake Muzzin on this team, he's not even one of the first four deals I'm looking at. Where I'm like, oh, that could go bad. Jake Muzzin makes less money than Essel Lindell. Essel isn't good. So Um, part of the thing with the Lindell theory is that like the thing is Lindell's not good. That's the main problem with this game is actually just the badness of yeah. it. Someone should address that. Yes. <laughs> no, so. you know, it's like... If, if there's a St. Louis equivalent, it's like Carl Gunnarsson. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's a guy. He's, he's a body that occupies three-dimensional space. I remember when we when we and... had Carl Gunnarsson, and I've, I've talked about this before, and actually this will tie into our next team, which is Detroit, but... When you when you follow a bad team, it warps your mind. Because you start thinking that, yeah, you know what, Carl Gunnarsson, mm-hmm. like... As a second, as your second defenseman, like you can't really do that much better than that, can you? Like realistically, and then like you you follow a good team and you're like, lose that Pareko on the second. Yeah, you follow a good team, you're like, wait, what the fuck? That's insane. Yeah. How did I ever think that? How did I ever think that Winnick, Kadri, Santarelli was like an acceptable second line? Yeah, uh, it, you know it happens to all of us, and defensemen have the added motivating factor that they have a doesn't make me super upset index this is as listeners will know the index on which tyson berry fails me time and <laughs> cody cc too but there oh yeah god help me but you know guys like gunnerson have a good doesn't make me that upset most of the time index he also doesn't achieve a whole lot but you know he's one of those guys where you're like i don't feel that bad when he's on the ice you know i'm not in a state of anxious misery, just contemplating him playing hockey. And I think the teams play f- pay for that. Like they, you know, that gets guys somewhere in terms of being perceived as defensively responsible. And, you know, it's true. They're not imploding. That's something. But it can also end up in situations where you pay guys who just sort of exist and don't handle the puck. This is, as we mentioned, the team that signed Roman Polak. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's... Uh, is that all you have on the Dallas? That is. All right. So, yeah, we've made it to an hour and forty-five, and we are on our tenth team. I think we'll probably cut it off. We might after, have to slice this. We'll in cut th- it off after LA. We'll power through the next four teams, and then we'll cut it off after LA. I think. All right, sounds like a plan. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings are absolute fucking garbage, but that's okay because it's on purpose. Yeah, pretty much. They're tanking quite blatantly. They're awful. They're really, really bad, and I don't think that they're as bad as the Tank Sabres in terms of actual team quality. But the fact that I even have to contemplate that is a glaring sign because the Tank Sabres were a blight on all Do that. Do you think the Tank Sabres were worse than the 48-point Avs? Yeah, I think the 48-point Avs had everything go wrong for them that possibly could in a luck sense. Yeah. It was like the inverse of the hot season for everyone in Calgary, where it's like it was a cold season for everyone. Well, and and the, like, like they just absolutely. Yeah, I think froze. if you like, I don't know, had the 2013 Sabers and the 20 
was it 16 avs what the 48 point avs i forget what year it was mm. and you play you have them play in a series yeah. or something i think the avs win more often than not because like i don't know maybe this is just kind of biasing because me being biased because i you know that the 20 the tank era sabers is when fancy stats really started becoming a thing and all i remember is everyone having to change their axes because the sabers were so bad that they were actually off the charts like the nhl we've talked about this before the nhl is not a league where even the worst and best teams have a huge difference like a 45 percent corsi team over the course of a game on average probably get you know 10 to 15 less shot attempts than their opponent right Mm -hmm. maybe less on average right um yeah so that's not like a huge 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 amount really but that's a really bad team but the sabers were like a 39 percent team in terms of corsi and whatnot and like they they were and the thing is the they were 36 36 i remember Jesus. this forever because because no one else to my knowledge has finished a full year under 40 and they're 36 it's not close and the thing i remember um, and this is yeah. probably what makes me think that they were worse than the than the abs is that i remember they got like competent goaltending for like two weeks of the year and then they just immediately traded the guy yeah, they're like, Fuck and then they, it. you are an obstacle. And then they got another like another goaltender who strung together like three decent games, and they traded that guy too. <laughs> yeah. They were so brazen about it. I loved it. But by the end of it, the thing is, is that okay? The Abs, as much as they suffered, they had Nathan McKinnon. Now this was pre him going supernova, which he did the next year. But they were still there. They still had Landis Cog, albeit you know I think Landis Cog was injured that year. But like they had some guys. The best forward on the Tank Sabres was, like, Tyler Ennis. It was crazy how bad they were. Now, I, I, I honestly, I think... I think the Tank Sabres are still the worst. However, man, Detroit is bad. It's Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha and a whole lot of crap. Yeah, it's... A whole lot of real bad. Well, I, the thing I, I want... So, with Detroit, like... And this is actually especially true of the Sabres, and we, we talked about this last week, where the Sabres' mistake they made is that they made themselves so bad that it was hard to build up again. But, mm-hmm. especially in that era, where if you were the worst team, you guaranteed yourself second worst. Or at, at worst, you were picking second. Mm-hmm. You, you, what you really want to be, it's like the opposite of what you do when you're in a pass-fail course in college. Like, in a pass-fail course, your goal is to pass with the minimum amount of effort, Right. The Sabres should have been yeah. as good as you could possibly be while still guaranteeing themselves last. But they, they just, instead of doing that, they're like, okay, we want 100% probability that we're last. And they just burnt the whole thing down. Right? The Red Wings are kind of in that same tier where they're, they're so bad now that like they're, they're for sure finishing, finishing last. They're guaranteeing themselves a top four pick. So yeah, like from here on out, like, I think they can actually, they don't really have to focus on tearing anything down. They should actually just start building up at this point. <laughs> Because yeah, you have like, so far to go has to that you're, you're not going to go from this to, like, oh, yeah, we're, like, you know, we're an average team now next year, most likely. Unless you get maybe Lafreniere. Yeah, it's probably worth noting the Red Wings, at the time of suspension, with no games in hand, were 23 points out of 30th. Out of 30th. That's behind Ottawa who were consensus, you know, like, one of the worst teams in the NHL. 
their goal differential is minus 122. It's incredible how bad this team is. I actually, like, I, I look at this defense group, and I'm like, is there anyone that if they were available for free and their contract was like a minimum or something, is there anyone that I would take on the Leafs to just play in the top six right now? If I could just have them at a complete discount. And there's not. Jonathan Erickson and Trevor Daly are washed. Patrick Nemeth, I don't even know who that is. Madison Bowie has never really done anything. And then you have guys like Biega and Gulabov who are AHL players. Like, that is actually... I'm sorry, I'm just marveling at this. This is, like, maybe the worst defense. Do you know what's the most absurd thing? So, they've had... They've basically played two goalies for most of the year. Uh, Jonathan Bernier and Jimmy Howard. Jonathan Bernier has been about league average. He's played 46 games. Yeah. Jimmy Howard has played 27 games. According to Evolving Hockey, his goal saved above expectation is negative 27. So, basically, every game, (laughs) you're, you're like, starting off one nothing down, effectively. Yeah, like no questions asked. This, I mean, Jimmy Howard right now is giving Detroit fans the basic experience that they would have if they started Michael Hutchinson every game, or like every game that Howard starts. Like that's the caliber of play that they've gotten out of him. But like, my lord, you know what they have? The most you can say is that they have a couple of forwards who are pretty. Dylan good. Larkin is it, Tyler Bertuzzi's having a decent. Larkin, game. Mantha, and Bertuzzi are yeah. like good players. Right, so there, there's hope that there's not their forwards. They need elite talent. I think Larkin could be like kind of uh, that Kadri level player, where he he's probably better than Kadri. But you know that guy who, if yeah. he's your first line center, you're probably not a great team. But if he's your second line center, he is a great second line center. Like he's an elite second line center. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, they've got some. I mean, you know, they have Fabry, who's uh, an interesting. I like I like the they trades they made. They have lots of picks. So this year they have how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, nine picks this year. Um, or sorry, ten picks. Yeah, six in the first three yeah. rounds. Sorry, ten picks this year, nine next year, seven the year after. They're accumulating picks, which is good. Um, none of them are first rounders, or additional mm-hmm. first rounders, but that's fine, right? Um, you're just you're picking lottery tickets up essentially. So yeah, like I, I, I trust Eisenman. I don't think he's like you know genius, never going to make a mistake, but I think he's he broadly knows where the team is and where they should be going. So, and if they do get Lafreniere, yeah, like this is according to yeah. plan. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. If they do get Lafreniere or or Byfield, like you know that speeds it up a lot. You need some luck. Yeah, um, you know they've still got a few years left on Nielsen and Abdulkader. They're so bad right now that I would have sort of stopped worrying about this. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, I also don't like the Danny Kaiser deal. I, I would honestly, I, I'm not but. even concerned about trading Applicator or Nielsen because there's two years left on Nielsen, three years left on Applicator. Yeah. You're not going to be good for the next two years anyways. Why pay an asset to get rid of them and free up cap space in a year where you're not going to be good? They have decent amounts of cap space anyways. They should basically just cycle yeah. through their entire bottom six effectively. Just try and find guys. Mm-hmm. Remake the defense. It's not going to yeah. get any worse. Yeah, Detroit is approaching the kind of point where it's like, it's sort of fun to do in an NHL game, you know, where it's like you have almost a clear field. You're starting from the very bottom. You have a couple of interesting guys like Zadina and Sider who, you know, 
are really fascinating prospects. But by and large, you got to do everything. It's going to be a long road back. This team is awful. Even if they get like multiple massive draft hits, like the only scenario where this team makes the playoffs in the next couple of years is an insane PDO bender. Like I'm talking like a an Andrew Hammond run where like the goalie just comes in and saves 935 or if every other team dies. Beyond that, like this team is <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean this team is going to be garbage for a while they kind of knew that they had as long a run of success in the modern nhl as any team has had so they certainly earned it and it'll be interesting to see where they go but it's it's going to be a while so yep. Next yeah is uh, oh, Edmonton, Oilers. I forgot about them. nope yeah uh everyone's favorite we laugh at edmonton hey Hey, the, lot I've heard here. from a reliable source that if the season were to restart, they would be the Stanley Cup favorites. <laughs> oh, David Staples. Yeah, okay. Well, you know what? Edmonton's in ninth. That's something, you know. They're, the thing about Ken Holland is he's been fine since coming in after Peter Chiarelli and just getting management that was, like, fine has done wonders for them. I still think the Zach Cassian contract is a complete waste. Like, that's not a good I don't deal. know. I So, Cassian's um, one of those it, guys who, like, yeah, he's a meathead, but he's actually an okay player. He's an okay player. Don't get me wrong, but I'm still thinking, like, most of his value is derived from he plays with superstar Yeah, like, and I, you can put him with them, but it's like, why are you doing that when a lot of guys can do that job? Yeah, I'm not sure I would pay 4 by 3.2 for him, but, like, he seems fine as a player. He's not a bad player. He's not a waste of space. Like, I think he'll I'm live just, up to that deal. Know, I, I think that... Really? Yeah, like, I, th- I think... that, Which isn't to say that they couldn't have gotten someone for cheaper who would also give them essentially the same production, but I think he'll be fine on that deal. That, that's not going to be a problem, I don't think. Well, all right. Well, you're mellower on it than I am. I will say they were at a point where they were so bereft of wing talent that I do understand them trying to retain it when they get it, but that was the same logic that got them that kind of silly little Alex GS on extension. I don't know. At any rate, Holland has done enough, and they've kind of gotten enough that they're okay. Uh, Yamamoto is looking like he might be something kind of exciting yes. for Which them. Is, I, I like Yamamoto coming out of the uh, draft. He's someone I, I wanted the Leafs to, to I take a look too. at. I mean, and it's not like we're not geniuses for saying that. He's a small guy who scores a shit ton, right? It's, you know, that's right up the alley. Yeah, of, but um, what stats people tend to like. Um, I'm actually looking at Cassian now. But you know what? It wasn't conventionally at the alley of the Oilers. Cassian so. yeah. Sorry, looks very different by RAPM and isolated threat. He looks fine by isolated threat and really bad by RAPM. And I don't know which of the two is more accurate. Mm. Yeah, the Oilers have always been a bit of a fun house in terms of uh, a lot of those stats, just given the influence that McDavid seems to and have Dreisaitl had upon too. them. Like, Dreisaitl was a really you know, interesting player because he, he's... It's like almost like the best possible version of Phil Kessel. Yeah, defense is atrocious. Offense is spectacular. Yeah, he he's really, really, really bad defensively. 
at least this year. And the thing is, that wasn't mm-hmm. always the case. It's been a kind of a two-year trend for him. Early on in his career, his defense was fine. I don't know. I wonder if, to some extent, he... And this is also true of McDavid. I wonder if they're kind of making a choice of, like, look, we have to... We have to kind of... The, the way this team is constructed, if we don't score, no one else is going to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for both of them, the last two years, and maybe it's a coach thing, like, they're... they're their goal is to, you know, take a punch to land a punch. But, you know, they're Connor McDavid and Leon mm-hmm. Dreisaitl. Their punch is like, you know, a Mike Tyson punch. Yeah. So it, it, it's not and, an in of itself you know, stupid strategy. But it does undercut their value sort of a little bit, I think. Like, yeah. I, I think you could probably get similar results, like, in terms of net effect, if you just had them play the way they were playing a few years ago, if, there, if this is a coaching change. But... Yeah, it's a bit weird. I, I don't I don't know how to judge them because they're they're both you know elite offensive players, inc- like beyond elite, like maybe two of the best off the two best offensive players in the world. McDavid is certainly number one. But yeah, well, they're one two in the league in yeah. points, and Drusidal at the time of suspension was running away with the Art Ross. So, you know, I, I I'm assuming the season won't restart, and he does get the scoring trophy for mm-hmm. the year. You, you wonder if, you know, having the one-two guys in league scoring, should that get you to a better place than they are? Right, and the thing is, like, they don't they don't outscore <laughs> their so. problem. Or they, they outscore their problems, but, like, not by as much as you would expect. But how much of that is due to the fact no, that... No, considering that they're destroying exactly. the league Exactly. Like, how much totals. of that is due yeah. to the fact that the rest of their team is, is really is still not that great? I, I don't know. But they're, they're wonderful players, obviously. Mm-hmm. This team is improving. Well... This team is like like they've done some things that I thought were good. I like the Andreas Athanasiu pickups. Speaking yes. of forwards who don't do much defensively, yeah. but you know they needed some wing some wing upgrades, and you know they're they're hanging in. They've gotten sufficient goaltending. I wouldn't say that it's been to the, like terrific, but it's been good enough. You know Koskinen has done well enough, probably that. We can't laugh quite as hard as that deal as we have done before and may do again later. I don't know. I, the thing is, I don't think Holland is by any means a miracle worker, but he's a been replacement like, level GM. That's all yeah, you need with this team, or maybe like a little better than that. Yeah, it's just like first do no harm sort of thing. And after a period where you know, I honestly think Peter Chiarelli is going to go down in history for. The repeated crazy shit that he yeah. did. And I'm sure a Peter Chirole defender, if there are any left, would say, well, he did sign Leon Dreisaitl to that deal that looks so good now. But, but, but with what we knew at the time, he should have been able to get it That was kind of hard. That'll, like, that'll be the trick. And that's going to come up, by the way, with a lot of... It may come up with some of the Leafs players, where it's like, you have to judge them by what they were doing on the time. You, you know... I don't know that he could have anticipated he was baking in this level of offensive value. But at any rate, the result has been, you know, they're okay in terms of the return on those contracts. Yeah. You know. There's there's stuff to be hopeful about in Edmonton. For the they're in a years. good spot. They're not a genuine no, contender. But they're in a good spot just because yeah. they have, you know, two of the best forwards in the world, both on good deals. When you start from that base, yeah. like, you know... You're just in a great. You're in a great spot. Period. Yeah. If if Holland keeps just again being that sort of 
competent, good enough general manager for the next few years, they're going to get playoff runs yeah. out of it. I'm not saying they'll get a ring out of it necessarily, but they will be around. They'll they'll be interesting to watch at least, and I'm sure after the hell that they've been through, Oilers fans will take that for a while. So, yeah, uh, cautious improvement there. Uh, what are the Panthers doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't like know. Owners cheaping out again. Owners yeah. keeping out, and, and you know the GM isn't smart enough to to overcome that financial disadvantage. Yeah, I, I mean, we actually did a bit of a dive into the Florida Panthers when it looked like we were going to be head to head with them for a playoff spot, and you know maybe we will be in some crazy format down the road. The reality is that this team if it's now cutting salary at this point, is probably going to manage to hamstring itself from doing anything important in the next few years. Yep, and... Like, I think that they're really well set up to waste Barkov. And yeah, Huberto. that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, if I'm Barkov or Huberto, it's like, what the fuck, man? I'd be mad. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing is that, like, if they were saying cut $10 million in salary before... God knows what they're saying yeah. now. The, this is a I team mean, that definitely uh, <laughs> can't withstand the financial reality of the pandemic. Right? Like, not that they get huge gate attractions yeah. anyways, but they need that money. Like, they still make money on every game. Players' salaries are guaranteed. I th- are, are players' salaries getting cut here? Like, are they only getting paid for the season that's happened, or are they getting paid their entire salary? Um, You know, I'm not 100% on that. Uh, 17C of the standard player contract... I know it says at time of suspension you get paid what you were owed up to the point, but I know that they were saying players had a couple of more paychecks mm-hmm. coming. So I won't say 100% okay. on that. I do think that, like, my suspicion, and part of the reason that I haven't fretted about this too much, aside from the fact that, you know, there's, there's enough to worry about in the world, but I kind of think that once the impact from this is sort of understood... There's going to have to be some sort of large-scale accommodation between the union and the league to figure out how to deal with yeah. the blow to revenues that they just took. And so I don't know how that's going to go forward. I guess the best news for the Panthers is that everyone will be taking a big hit there. And so maybe the measures that are put in place to assist everybody will also help them. But this is, this is pretty rough. And, you know, there are a lot of things that I don't mind about this team there's a lot of talent that we discussed they're about a one-line team and they have some good players but it's like if they determine to cut salary and Sergei Bobrovsky really continues to underperform his massive contract that's gonna be a really rough period and I hate to be kind of harsh here at some point, we might call into question the viability of hockey in that market when the team consistently sucks. I'm not trying to rag on Florida by any means. I'm just saying right now they're not drawing flies. They haven't in a long time. They're struggling to make money. Massive financial pressures are coming down the pike. In addition to that, where is this going? Like, where is this team justifying its own existence in the next three or four years 
And as long as you have an owner who's willing to lose money, you can make it. And the NHL doesn't want relocation, yeah. so they'll do a lot to keep it there. But I, I, I have to say, like, I would be pretty unhappy if I were a Florida Panthers fan right now. Yeah, I would as well. Despite everything. Yeah, I would as well. So, yeah. Sorry, and uh, I, I should have noted they're in 18th right now in the NHL, so they're not, like, by any means out of the hunt. No, and they're, they're only, I think rough. they're three points back of us with one game in hand, so, I mean, mm-hmm. like, we're... That could change exactly. really we're quick. Exactly, favorites, but and they we're could not make it. And, overwhelming ones. You know. Yeah, I, I just think it's hard for me not to be preoccupied with the big picture on the Panthers, which is that they... The Trocek deal and the rumors that we've heard, that looks to me like a team that is trying to shy away from seriously contending or seriously competing. And that could have a real... Like, a lot of bad things could happen when you stop trying when you're in the spot that they're in. So, yeah. Uh, and so we have another awful team to finish up this episode. The Los Angeles Kings are in 28th. Kind of the same thing as Chicago, in a uh, way, right? Like, you, yeah. you had your day in the sun, made some mistakes as a result. You're not good now. Take your lumps and then try, try and rebuild. They, you, I, I don't know in what context we discussed this recently but you you've talked about like just selling on Doughty yeah I said uh last summer I would beg Kopitar and Doughty to waive their no movement clauses and trade them immediately for whatever I could get because I think that when the decline obviously takes them both and I think it's already started to impact them to some extent it's going to be ugly and then you have this for, I mean, Doughty's deal runs until 2026. Would you retain on either of them? <sighs> I mean, how much, yeah, right? I mean, certainly you're not retaining half yeah, percent. Let's say you retain a mil on each. See, the problem with that, though, is like... Yeah. Even if it's, you know... Even if it's a, in of itself a decent idea, because you can only retain on three tra- three deals per time, and these deals stretch so long, it constrains your options mm-hmm. going forward. Yeah, and, you know, even in little deals, like, it's worth noting, they actually have two retained salary transactions on mm-hmm. the books, including one for Kyle Clifford. And it's just, when you're in a team, when you're a team in the state of the Kings, uh, having that sort of little flexibility to adjust to make trades with contenders to get better assets back, that is very useful. And so, yeah, I would be a little bit leery of that. I think you could still get a mint for Drew Doughty. He still has points. He still has a reputation. That cap hit would be tough to accommodate, though. I think in Doughty's case, for the sake of getting what I would hope is a really good return, I would retain a million or two. I would do it to get that done. But I don't know if he's willing to do it, for one thing. Maybe he just says, I'm good where I am, thanks. And I think if they are going to attempt it, they had better attempt it soon. Yeah. Like, again, the time to do this was last year, if it was possible, which, again... Doughty's had a Seabrook-like disappearance. Um, I haven't watched as much of the Kings last year, but I remember last year, it's just like, man, Doughty just does not give a fuck. He was checked the fuck out, He might still be, and And maybe he goes to a better team and just turns it on. Because, like, he's 30 now. He's not that old. No, and you know what? It's worth noting, you know, he's still... And no, no injuries. Point, like, you it, know, like it might just be like, oh, he's not motivated playing on a shit team. Because as much as 
his mm-hmm. Norris was probably undeserved, and it was kind of predetermined that he would get it because it's like, hey, it's his time, whatever that means. Doughty is yeah. has been a very good defenseman throughout his career. Yeah, he's been a top five defenseman in the world at points, I would say, and so you know that's that's not nothing, and uh, you know, and say Kopitar is still respectable. I, again, I don't know if he's... He's probably not worth well, it's hit, kind of the Jamie Benn thing, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he's still a good player, and, but uh, yeah, is he worth... What's he making, 10 mil? Yeah, for another four years after mm-hmm. this one. Yeah, and, and so, you know, they have these these albatross contracts, and, you know, in another couple of years, at least they'll be out of Brown and Carter's deals. But... Yeah, it's a bit of the Detroit thing where they just, as as you said, you know, same with Chicago, they just got to take their lumps. And that's how it goes. You know, maybe if you sit and accumulate and you get guys on ELCs, maybe you have an interesting kind of resurgence season where the fact that you're paying some of these guys not all that much and the fact that some of these older very overpaid guys maybe still have a little left in the tank maybe there's some sort of nice little opening that happens there i'm just envisioning a situation where they get kind of okay again in three or four years and kopitar and Doughty give give them some kind of value surrounding a bunch of young players and they have a fun year like that's kind of what i'd be hoping for at this point at least they have their first and they're gonna pick high that's that's more than you can say for San Jose. <laughs> we'll get to it. Yeah. Episode, yeah, very much but... so. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, I guess that, oh my God, two hours and ten <laughs> minutes. I think this is a record. Wow. We went on. Uh, anyway, yeah. So that's about half the league, give or take. And we hope that you have enjoyed our little survey of it. We're going to try and power through and we'll do the rest of it. And... <laughs> I can't promise we will get more efficient, but we'll try to have some fun. Yeah, anyway. so thank you all for listening. You can find all of mine and Fuleman's work at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Fuleman. Thank you for listening. Uh, catch us next week for part two of Around the NHL. See ya.